You're listening to Kapow, the pop culture podcast. Comics, television, movies, and more. If it impacts fan culture, we have something to say about it. And now, your hosts, Michael, Jordan, Cliff, and Seth. Hi, this is the illustrious Michael K. Easton. My name is Jordan Lowe. I'm Cliff Barnes. I am the Poobah. So, this is a big episode. Why is it, Cliff? Why is this huge? Because we're old. Huge? No, not because we're old. <laughs> because it's episode 50! Yeah, that's big stuff. Though. Of the legacy of the Kapow! Pop Cultured Podcast. <laughs> that's right. Gets into it. We're not putting an asterisk next to it and say, well, there were some other two-part episodes and right. uh, we had some pro episodes before this. this. No, we're just number 50. 50. Also, also, it'll be the same week as our one-year anniversary. Ooh, party, party. Do you guys feel any different? <sighs> I know I woke up this morning feeling different. Okay, why? Okay, no, never mind. Let's go. This is really special. We're doing a special episode. So you're not going to insult Michael the whole episode? No, like I didn't an anniversary. I'm going to fit it in somewhere, little bits and places. You guys try to pick them out. <laughs> anyway, super special episode, and we're doing, you know, for the occasion, we're going to do our top heroes. Just like we did our to- each did our top ten villains and compiled those lists and counted down, we're doing it with heroes now. We had some requests for that, so we saved it for the fiftieth episode. And on top of that, we're doing something special. We t- mentioned in the last episode, which is what Jordan shirts. That's right. We're firing t-shirt cannons at all the Jesse's out there. <laughs> at Facebook, <laughs> so don't get your face too close to the screen. You might get hit with a t-shirt. Yes, yeah, so, so we're doing a contest, a free Kapow t-shirt, our brand new design, for one lucky person out there who shares this on Facebook. So we're going to put all the names in the hat of everyone who shares this episode within, say, a week, yep. and then we're going to draw one at random and give away a cool t-shirt. That's right. We're going The post that you found this in on Facebook, share that post, and we will look at all the shares and pick your name out of a hat. You get a t-shirt. Sounds awesome. Let's get to it. Got a huge list to go through. Everybody's favorite heroes. We're all chomping at the bit to talk about them. And just like our villains, we're not saying these are the greatest heroes or mm. the best or the only. These are our no, personal. No, I am. They are personal. <laughs> oh, see, here we go. Coming out with Gloves are off. That's, right. That's it. It's our favorites. It's our favorites. We would love to hear your favorites. Please, you know, comment on the post. Let us know who we forgot or who was right, why I was right, things like that. <laughs> why Michael was right. Okay, I'm going to kick it off. So there's going to be some that we had uh, villains that are kind of related. We might have picked favorite villains because we really just wanted to talk about our favorite heroes. They say the villain makes the hero. That's right. Well, so when I talked about Simon Bar Sinister last time... <laughs> It was only because I wanted to talk about Underdog. It's my number 10 favorite villain. This is my first favorite superhero. This is the first one I discovered. You know, he was 
1964, not when I saw him, but that's when it, <laughs> it came out and part of a show with a, several other cartoons. But the theme song is just a killer. You know, there's no need to fear underdog is here. What a great line. He's a sh- shoe shine boy, which he's a dog. I don't know, but they call him a shoe shine boy. <laughs> you don't need opposable thumbs to shine shoes. <laughs> yeah. And he goes in the phone booth and it explodes for some reason. He comes out as underdog. His girlfriend's reporter sweep Polly Pure Red, obviously a nod to Lois and Clark there. And so it's got Simon Barcenter as villain, another one, Riff Raff. You know, it's kind of his powers stem from the super energy pill, which they ended up cleaning up later and calling it vitamins, <laughs> so kids aren't popping pills. Drugs are bad. Yeah, and he liked to rhyme. Did a lot of rhyming, you know. Not plane, nor bird, nor even frog. It's just little old me. And then he would crash into something. Say <laughs> underdog. When the when the citizens would complain about the damage he caused, because he tons of collateral damage when underdog gets involved. <laughs> He'd just say, I am a hero who never fails. I cannot be bothered with such details. <laughs> oh, like Man of Steel. <laughs> yes, that's correct. It was that's exactly what I thought. Um, and, again, like I said the last time, it the music is good, but parts of it creep me out. And I remember at the end of that show, they always had the big giant walking down the street, knocking down buildings, and it wouldn't even play music. It would just say, looks like this is the end. <laughs> and it scared me because I was five. So that was my number ten, underdog. So now, Michael, what's your number ten? Well, Seth thinks he has it on on the master list, but I am like pulling an audible. Oh my! My number ten best hero of all time is Will Stanton, and. What is happening? He's got a list. You gave me the list. You were like one of the first ones done with the list. Has it been too long? You've already changed your list. So who are we taking off the list? Because I would keep track of this stuff. 20 Uh, seconds into the podcast, and he's got a new list. I don't understand. He gave you the fake list. (laughs) Guys, this is is how we work over here. 50 episodes. (laughs) But you're taking off my list. Just tell me what number you're taking off. Um, Oh, my God. Number five. Number five. How does number five go? This makes no sense. <laughs> so he's that number five's not even on the list anymore. Nope. Okay. It's gone. Well, you're who? It was, is Will Stanton is a better question. Yeah, that's well. This was yeah, a character yeah, I've been thinking about. You've My used, mind is blown. You've used all your Will Stanton time, by the way. But it's, it's a character of yours. But it's actually Seth's <laughs> fault. Oh, it's my fault. Because he's talking about his childhood, and there was this mm. series of books that I read. Uh, I would say probably fifth grade, sixth grade, somewhere around there. And it was The Dark is Rising. Um, it's a series of five books. And Will Stanton is actually the seventh son of a seventh son. He is a... On his 11th birthday marks the beginning of a magical awakening and rise to power as the last of the old ones. The Dark is Rising tells how he came to power, met... Uh, someone I can't pronounce, and accumulated these six signs to help fight the dark. <laughs> Will is the last of the old ones. No others will be born after him. In Greenwich, the first novel, he is invited to come to Cornwall. Blah, 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 blah. Anyway, 
it's a series of six books, I think, five or six books that I read as a kid, and it really captivated me as a kid. He was. What, I thought, what made him a hero? Was he? He was the seventh son of a seventh son. Well, yeah, but. That's so you're just idea. automatically a hero. <laughs> what do it you was, do? He had to get like these uh, six gifts. I think is what they were. Artifacts. That's what they were. They were things of power. The signs. There was a set of six circle quartered, divided evenly into four sections by crosses. The six signs of each made of a different material and represent a different element. Wood, bronze, iron, water, fire, and stone. The six signs represent the six champions of light referred to the recurring poem of the dark is rising series as three from the circle, three from the track. When used, the signs have the power to repel the dark. <laughs> I, well, that sounds about right. That sounds like so utterly complicated that it would be right up your alley. It was, it was basically a like a complex plot line. It was a magical time travel story. Of where okay. he would have to that's get back in time to true. find Sparks these artifacts. Your yes. And it started my path on, unto the quantum universe of conundrums. <laughs> conundrums. Cliff! <laughs> You're number ten. <laughs> I don't know who five was. I'm I'll really, tell you. I'm, okay, I will let you know. I, I have to know who number five you, I'll was. I'll let you know. Go ahead. Well, if that's how we're doing it, forget my list. Okay. Great. The list is out the window. Screw you guys. I'm going home. <laughs> Uh, number 10, uh, my number 10 is Peter Venkman, Ghostbusters, and Ghostbusters 2, and the real Ghostbusters. And, and the extreme Ghostbusters. Sure. <laughs> sure. That sounds like a number 10. <laughs> so, uh, Bill Murray, of course. Is awesome. Awesome. Great character. Great character, The probably maybe the ultimate New York hero. That's how I remember him. Just the great, I mean, if somebody personified New York to me, it's Peter Bankman. So, of course, you might want to say he's the, I don't know if you'd say he's the leader of the Ghostbusters or maybe the, just the more, he's the, the most, heart. The heart, the most socially inept of, of the four, I guess, four. The coolest. The cool guy. <laughs> the guy the that gets the girl. Liners. The guy that, yeah. So, all that stuff. Great hero from a great movie. I mean, you you don't have to yeah, defend so, that pick. That's yeah, a good so one. many moments in one, and then also I love the the kind of cold opening they do in Ghostbusters two, where he's now become the the television host of the mm. crappy little mm-hmm. psychic show. Uh, that's yeah, one I love of my it. Fa- yeah, love it. yeah. I love the pick. Nice pick, Jordan. Number ten. My number ten. It's also from my childhood and was made way before I was born. Speed Racer. Hmm. I love this guy. I love the series. I actually even bought the the the, the manga a couple years ago, and I enjoyed it too. And now, I don't, was it I don't based read a lot of manga. That? Yeah, it was based. Uh, Mock Go 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 is the Japanese title, and the manga was by Tatsuo Yoshida, and it was. Very mod, very sixties, you know, kind of that James Bond. You know, every the car had a bunch of gadgets. Like it was playing on those kind of times, and it didn't come to American television until nineteen sixty-seven. Uh, Fifty-two episodes, and just you know, such a great supporting cast. But you know, Speed himself is such a great hero. 
he's just so pure hearted and he's so noble and just he, he can't abide cheaters and you know anyone who would cheat at a race he is just the worst person alive you know he has, they have no thing. honor huh they have no honor what's wrong with that so did you like the 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 rebooted movie I loved did. the reboot I really liked that too that I was Pleasantly surprised. Like when it came, I remember when it came out and I was, saw the trailer, trailer and I was like, well, it looks cool, but there's no way this is going to be any good story wise. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think it was a couple years later before I actually saw it. But I it, think that that movie is going to, as it even gets further away from mm-hmm. it, it's going to get a more and more of a cult. It was following. savaged by the critics. It was, I'm yeah. sure nominated for Razzies. Like everyone critically despised that movie. And, but, it was made by the Wachowskis, you know, so very mm-hmm. pedigreed filmmakers. Emil Hirsch as the star, yep. John Goodman, mm-hmm. Susan Sarandon, you know, a, a great, great cast. Uh, and it just, it, it, it captured the original so well in the attitudes. And again, that like where car racing is just so important. Just the, 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 the nobility of it all. And about halfway through that movie, I was like, this is exactly like a cartoon. And all they need to do now is stop in the middle of a race and have a fist fight, you know, joking <laughs> yeah. to myself. And that scene actually happened, right. as happened in almost half the episodes. Like, right. oh yeah, you know, every every problem had to be solved by a car race, and then there'd be gunfights and fist fights outside of the race. Oh, we got to jump back in our cars and go. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I love that. Yeah, I love the series as a kid. I, the live right. action movie's great too. That I just that animation in the original cartoon and stuff. I just loved. I mm. loved. Love that as a kid. Absolutely love the pick. Moving on to our number nine. Michael, start us off. It's your number nine. Fresh! Ah, he saved every one of us! That's pretty far down your list. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's barely beating it out was, the guy you barely remember. It, it, it was ten until he removed five. <laughs> Flash Gordon. And we're talking about of all the Flash Gordons, the 1980s Flash Gordon, played by Sam Jones, that was voiced by another actor. But that movie is the perfect action, cheesiest, heroic film of the 80s. If Michael was a burger, you would order extra cheese. That's right. <laughs> More cheese, please. What do you love about him? It's great. Like, you have this... A really football star that's like thrown into this intergalactic war and he just like immediately becomes the hero. Like there's so many, so many great cheesy things about this movie of the interplay with the female characters and him getting to do his football style fighting. I mean, it's, it's campy. It's, I like the style of it. It's very stylish. Did you ever read any of the original like pulpy Comics or novels or anything? Not to, not in any great length. Like I was aware of them and I kind of checked them so out. You, like you wouldn't enjoy it if it was taken very seriously. You like it more. I did like, like there was, they had a short-lived cartoon as a kid I liked that was Defenders of the Universe. It only lasts like 13 episodes, but there's different versions of it that if it has the right feel, like there's a seven, a late 70s animated uh, series that was done really well. That follows more of the comic book and old black and white serials that was done really well, but 
Um, it's just kind of that, like, punch first, ask questions <laughs> later kind of stick. Well, there's a reason why Flash Gordon's lasted all these years. Let's hear it. <laughs> well, because I feel like I want, I feel like I saw some of this as a kid, but never since. But did he, did somebody have a pool table with snakes coming out of the holes or something? Or am I thinking of something else? Or, like, a, I, you know, you remember something as a kid. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. I don't know what I'm talking about. What? It's when they're on the green planet. Okay. And a rite of passage of. Stick your hand in it. Yeah, yeah, you stick, stick it in. Yeah. And if you get bit by this. It scared creature. the hell out of me. <laughs> you were not worthy. Yeah, yeah I, I do remember that. I, that that's the only part it, that it was, I remember. It was a game of like basically Russian roulette because he goes up against the main leader uh-huh. of the Green Planet. Right. As I'm so great with names, and they're like taking uh, turns Captain sticking Green. sticking their hands in this hole, waiting for this creature to come out. <laughs> But how many parties has Michael been to? <laughs> Here's the reason right here why you should all love Flash Gordon, and I'm looking at every single one of you. Guys. I know what you're gonna say. Go ahead. Because without Flash Gordon, there'd be no effing Star Wars. Well, there'd be no Star Wars. I don't know about effing Star Wars. <laughs> there'd still be effing. <laughs> yeah. So it's no secret that the 1940s serials were a big inspiration for. For George Lucas, that's where we got the famous crawl at the at the mm. beginning of the movie. I like it. That's a good pick. Better than Bill Stanhall. <laughs> Bill Stanhall. <laughs> oh, sorry. So oh, yeah. Yeah. Seven <laughs> Number eleven slash five. Oh, that was my number son. nine. Cliff. Number nine. Uh, Captain Jack Sparrow. You pulling an audible? No. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's now your number nine. That's now my number nine. <laughs> pages stuck together. Our, oh man, oh, no. were you sticking things in holes? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll go with that. Captain Jack Sparrow. Um, it's a good place of, for him. Of course, uh, Johnny Depp, who based the character on Rolling Stones um, guitarist. Keith Richards, and Pepe Le Pew. Okay. <laughs> I did not sense. know that last part. I knew yeah. Keith Richards, but not Pepe yeah. Le Pew. So, I just always... That's not he how makes Pepe me... Le Pew talks. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> like, That's his number six here. Wait till yes. we get there. Yes. Okay. We're getting there. No, Captain Jack, um, The Curse of the Black Pearl is probably one of my all-time... It, it's one of my all-time... Is that the first movies. one? The first one. Okay. And... Uh, I just love Captain Jack. I'm a big Disney fan anyways. And, of course, now when you go to the parks, you, you see pirates all over the place. Um, but, of course, the movie was based on the original Disneyland and Walt Disney World attraction, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. And he just makes me laugh. He, he just does. I, he's a, you know, he's very much the anti-hero. He's a pirate. Um, you know, he's battling... Other pirates or ghost pirates or the East Indian, um, company. And I just always love, and I'll admit, I'll, there's an, I've seen all the pirates movies. Some of them are a lot better than others. There's another one coming out. I'm sure I'll go see it too. Um, but as far as Johnny Depp, I'm, I'm not a huge Johnny Depp fan. Um, I like some of the stuff he does, other things I don't like. But I think Captain Jack Sparrow is the best thing he's ever done. For me. Yep. That's well, definitely out of the first movie. And anybody that'll, you know, they keep, they actually keep a spare 
Um, Johnny Depp? No. <laughs> <laughs> He's in the right. They keep a spare Captain Jack costume on hand because Johnny Depp, every once in a while, he loves the character so much, he'll just show up at Disneyland and just put put it on and hang out in the in the attraction for a while. So hmm. if you ever see in your at Disneyland, you see count them five Captain Jack Sparrows in the ride. One of them is real. Whoa! So do you do you view him as a hero? I always more did. As, I mean, I think he. I think he does a lot of very selfish things or cowardly he, things. He but does. That, you know, by the end of the movie, has he become? He, he always seems to, at the end always seems to do the right thing. That's yeah. I mean, I I don't remember a lot. I've only seen a couple of the movies, parts yeah. of them, uh, other than the first one I saw it. But well, the but it, it gave me the feeling, you know, yeah, he's doing everything selfish, but. Isn't he along the way, if confronted with doing the yeah. right thing, he does it? You yeah. Know. By the end of the story and, and the, the crooked line he takes to get to there, um, is always the adventure part because he does make often the wrong decision or, you know, the decision we, the hero wouldn't normally right. make. Yeah. So like you said, that's what makes it interesting. So. All right. Jordan, your number nine. My number nine is Sarah Connor. From the Terminator franchise. A lady hero. Lady what? heroes. <laughs> and I, I saw these movies in the wrong order because I saw Terminator 2 first as a kid. Yeah. Years before I ever saw the original. That works. <clears throat> and it's, I mean, great movie and I loved it, but I got so much more appreciation after seeing the original mm-hmm. and seeing Linda Hamilton as like an 18 or 19 year old waitress who has to be rescued by the hero. And I think she ends up Saving the day at the very end, but again, she's kind of helpless and just has to run from the monster. So, you know, we jump forward, you know, 10 years or however much. The timeline's kind of screwy. No one really knows how many years are between them or whatever, but, and we see her, you know, in the mental institution doing pull-ups on the bed that's, and like, what a great introduction, reintroduction to that character. Those biceps. Yes, this is a character that is not gonna put up with these robots anymore like she's gonna yeah. fight back and just the great uh instinctive mother that will do anything for her kid you know even if it makes him hate her you know goes through a series of boyfriends to to teach them all survival skill just puts her own life in the back seat and doesn't you know her comfort and her life doesn't mean anything if she can protect her kid and thereby the world so yeah, she's been played by a couple other actresses, but yeah, Lena Hamilton, the original. The, the TV show wasn't bad. I like Lena Headey as Sarah Connor. That, that was an enjoyable couple seasons, but yeah, the T2 Linda Hamilton is probably the top. Yeah. Oh, magnificent. And not to mention that scene of the nuclear where it like wipes out the playground. Like that like haunted me forever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she was obs- it was an obsession. What to that hero, yeah, so. But still, I mean, even as, you know, cold killer, you know, she goes into Miles Dyson's house, she knows exactly what she has to do, but, you know, she sees his kid, mm-hmm. and yeah. she has that, I can't, do, you know, am I really doing the right thing? Because there has to be somewhere in the back of her head, everyone's telling her she's crazy, and she's she has to have faith that she's not. So, just, yeah, some real layers and depth in there that the actress brought to this, just, yeah. Love it, love it. All right, my number nine hero is from the greatest action movie of all time, 
the raid. It's Rama. I still don't know how I didn't have Mad Dog on the li- my villains list. Indonesian movie with a Muslim hero. Uh, he start at the very beginning of the movie. He's you know praying, kisses his wife goodbye. He's the bravest among a team of police entering an apartment building where the crime lord is on the top floor, and they got to fight their way to the top. The the tenants of the building, you know, are act as protection for the crime lord. They you know they get benefits of living there, and they don't want things to change. It's just unbelievable, I, you know. And he's a great hero. There's also the raid too, and just I love that actor. He's so the same character comes back. Yes, we follow the same one for yeah. the season. Now, have you have you seen the first one? I've seen the first one, but not the second. Okay. One. Well, I feel like I watched the second one, but not the first one. You watched the first one because I made okay. you come to my house. Well, that's why I can't remember which one it was. <laughs> yeah. Yes, okay. that picks people up off the street. He's like, hey, have you seen the raid? Hop in. I freaking have it right here. <laughs> I flipped it out. If, if, you, if you said you hadn't seen it, I was going to go watch it. It's it's unbelievable. We're giving I'm, away free copies to anyone who shares the podcast. Hey, I will, I will let any Jesse borrow my copy of The Raid Redemption. You must watch it. It's awesome. Okay. Cliff, your number eight hero. Um, eight Which is really nine. your number nine hero. <laughs> Practically perfect in every way. <laughs> 1964, Mary Poppins. Um, in almost a per, in my opinion, almost a perfect movie. 1964, Walt Disney picture. Uh, why they're redoing it or something. That's, well, <laughs> no, only a I sequel. Know. Oh, it's a sequel. Right. Um, of course, Jane and Michael Banks, uh, are the children of the wealthy Banks family. Um, basically Mary Poppins has to come and save the family, uh, save the father. The mother is very involved with, um, suffrage and, and that whole thing. The father is very, uh, he's all about the money and possession and there's no love in this household. Um, They don't, you know, calling them the banks family, you know, (laughs) was kind of on the nose, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, of course, Mary Poppins was based, uh, was a character in a series, I think of eight books, actually. P.L. Travers, if you didn't know. Um, and, uh, Walt I saw, Disney. I saw Saving Mr. Banks. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, Saving Mr. Banks. Yeah, Walt Disney fought for like 20 years trying to get this movie made. Um, and, and when he did, he wanted to make sure he got it right, so. Didn't so. a couple of us go see that together? Saving I Mr. Banks. I think we Banks. all went, yeah. 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 There was a lot of crying at the end. Mary Poppins? No, Saving no, Mr. Banks. Oh, Saving Mr. Banks. Yeah. I was like, what? Oh, okay. I cry every okay. time I watch Mary Poppins. <laughs> yeah, so That's Mary Poppins, um, I, I just, Julie Andrews, um, just wonderful performance. I love her voice, the songs, the music, the Sherman Brothers music in the movie is wonderful. But ultimately she is, she's the hero. She comes to save and, and throughout the books, she was always there to, to take care of the children and, and, and. And how can you not watch that movie and have a good feeling? Do you know what year that came out? 1964. Okay. The Oscar winner. I mean, ever, I definitely remember watching, you know, that we all, do I assume as kids watching that just what it is just a almost a perfect family Disney movie you know live action with 
there's animation in e- it. Even but. even with Dick Van Dyke's cruddy English accent. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's <laughs> terrible. It makes but it he, more endearing. But he's so lovable, you mm-hmm. know. It's just, it's it's great. It's good stuff. You're number eight, Jordan. I am a street-level guy. <laughs> Even in the DC universe where there are gods and aliens and and cosmic beings and multiverses, I love... He picks the most Marvel character. (laughs) (laughs) Green Arrow, Oliver Queen. I've always loved this character. Uh, Debuted in More Fun Comics, number 73, back in 1941. So he has been around almost as long as Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, and the rest of the, the core people. Uh, created by Mort Weisinger and George Papp. Um, never really had his own solo title for 40 years. Would show up in Brave and the Bold or a team-up book mm. or Justice League, but never got to shine as a solo character. Um, but was always the great you know, heart and soul of the Justice League. Could could stand up to these gods and tell them they were wrong or, you know... and. Also, the social conscience of the group, especially in the oh, late, late yeah. 60s or 70s, he had that left-leaning uh, politics where Green Lantern had more the right wing, and they had great interplay between them. But, yeah, Ollie was always the scoundrel, uh, you know, the, the down and dirty. He would fight dirty where, you know, he didn't have the powers that the other ones That's did. That's what so. I think when I think of you, I think... Fight dirty, great facial hair. (laughs) (laughs) He was also quite the heartbreaker, if I do believe. Yes, yes, a lot of ladies left in his way. Ladies love him. (laughs) Yeah, he's not the most perfect hero. I mean, he has cheated on his wives and uh, you know abandoned some kids, and you know he doesn't always do the right thing. But in you know in his mind, he's always fighting for something bigger for for some kind of right. justice. Those are minor flaws. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, to me, a hero if he can overcome personal yes, flaws but, yeah. in the fight for something greater, that's is a much more interesting hero. You should be Agreed. watching this season of Arrow. It would change your mind. <laughs> it's better on paper. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my number eight hero is Jeff. Of course. It's Jeff. From Mutton Jeff? <laughs> no. It's Jeff who lives at home. Have you ever seen that movie? Yes. I have it in my backpack. <laughs> <You hadn't. laughs> how, how, how many things are in your backpack? You have like a Mary Poppins backpack. You're just uh, Jeff who lives at home. A movie from about five or six years ago from the Duplass brothers. Jason Siegel played him. He was just a 30-year-old unemployed stoner living in his mother's basement. And he has, has no motivation. He's lost in life. Doesn't, you know, just, he's missing something. And he finds inspiration in the feature film Signs. He loves <laughs> M. Night Shyamalan Ding Dong. He loves Signs. And he's convinced that it holds the keys to the universe. That key, he thinks, is that the universe is filled with meaningful coincidences. And all you have to do is remain alert. And your destiny will take care of itself. So he looks for his destiny and random occurrences. Towards the beginning of the movie, he answers the telephone. It's a wrong number. Somebody's asking for Kevin. And he, he so he's like, this is a sign. And the, and the rest of the movie, he's just 
following, as he's dealing with some major problems in his family going on at the time, he is following these seemingly random signs to discover his destiny. And the climax of that movie, the first, you know, I, I think every time I see it, I've seen it all the time, the first time it was exhilarating when, when, you know, when you find out what happens, you know, it's just like, it, I really loved it. I love the movie. And recommend it to people. But he's a quintessential hero. He, you know, he's searching to find what he's missing in his life. And he does. So, Michael, your number eight. My number eight is The Impossible Girl from Doctor Who. Clara is initially initially presented to the audience during the first half of Series 7 as a dialect... But she first appears as the, she's basically the brain of a dialect, and she. <laughs> never, <laughs> I feel like I've heard him say this. Never stop stopping yet, go on. And she comes back later in the series, and she keeps popping up, and you find out that she is there to save. Doctor Who, whose life, and out of all the companions that Doctor Who has ever had, I feel like she is the one that could hold her own or almost equal to Doctor Who. That's it. When, when I saw that on your list, I thought this was someone from the Impossible Family. Oh, I thought he's put one of selfish. his own heroes on here. Yeah. I was like, I wanted to hear why that one. Is there one Impossible Girl in your there? What's her name? Uh, there's an impossible woman. Oh, see, sorry. <laughs> sorry, everybody. <laughs> I got that mixed up. Possible woman. Yes, impossible woman. No. <laughs> now you're rethinking it. You're yeah, like, I should have put one of my people on the list. All right, those were our number eight. Now we're moving on to number seven with Jordans. My number seven is Ashley J. Williams, better known as Ash from The Evil Dead. <laughs> incomparably portrayed by Bruce Campbell. Uh, now, would you call him a hero? I would. Again, we talked about flawed heroes. He is a very, very flawed individual. <laughs> he is... He's not great. Uh, he is not... If you wanted to pick... You know, in the original 1981 movie, especially, where they played it a little more straight, and then even in the sequels, they... You know, if you were thinking, we need a hero to save the day, he is not who you would choose. He's cowardly and, and kind of foolish and clumsy. But again, when his back's to the wall, he does what needs to be done and, uh, and gets the job done and overcomes that sort of, uh, that blustery, you know, he, he thinks he's God's gift to women. He thinks he's unstoppable, but he can look, you know, evil straight in the eye and, and he won't blink where everyone else might run. And everyone else gets killed usually, but he he ends up uh, uh, saving the day. Now, correct me if I'm wrong here, which I know you guys will. Yeah. However, that's a standing order. Yeah, we have fifty you're, episodes. Yeah, ever. you are subscribed to that. <laughs> that Thinking show. on terms of actors who portray characters, is this not one of those, like one of the only times where a character has reprised his role? Because like they made a, a new Evil Dead movie where it was like a protege, like a female character took on his role, right? But then it reverted back to Ash after the credits. They had a quick scene. He had hmm. a cameo in that movie. Yeah, from 1981 till the current series on Stars, he is still Ash, and there's only been one Ash. 
And even the video games, which is another reason I love this character, because I'm not even a huge horror fan, really. I'm not a big gore fan. Yeah. Uh, these these movies <laughs> are no. full of gore. Yeah. But there was a video game, Fistful of Boomstick, for the PlayStation 2 in 2003, where he did the voice. It's one of my favorite games of all time. Again, it didn't win awards. Like, it's not a – critics, I'm sure, didn't like it. But it is just, for a fun factor, it's just one of the most fun games I've ever played. And he is doing the voice, and there's all these cutscenes. It's almost like another movie. You get to watch the cutscenes in between going from point A to point B. And the best part is you have to, well, you upgrade your weapons like any game, but you also have to learn spells. Because you keep finding, you know, pages of the Necronomicon or whatever it is. And, you know, and the early spells are, you know, triangle square. Oh, you cast a quick little spell, and that's easy. And then the spells get more and more complicated. And if you mess up the button order, much as Ash always messes things up and says, he says, Klaatu, oh, God. And then you (laughs) you get hurt, like, fall down, like the spell backfires, and you take damage. So, yeah, if you are clumsy, you know, Ash uh, shows that in the game. And I I just, and you had to solve all kind of puzzles and stuff. So that that video game made me love the movies more, which is kind of odd, but yeah. So yeah, I've always loved old Bruce Campbell's portrayal for sure. Love it. My number seven is Henry Pym. I, I wonder where this would be on your list. Yeah, the first Avengers comic I ever bought was two seventeen, and it's a Hank Pym story. You know, this is how I was introduced to the character and. He is, you know, played as a hero in this story. So a lot of times the first story you read about someone is the impression you have. And, it, and not like Hank Pym isn't a hero, but he, you know, he had just been vilified in the series and I didn't know that, you know. And, but he gets, you know, he gets involved with uh, the niece of Egghead and has to, she's being controlled. You know, she's got a robotic arm and Egghead can control it, making her do stuff and... It's just sticking it in holes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and anyway, he's the hero of the story, and he has to face the Avengers at the end and try to explain to them that what's going on, that Egghead's alive, he was supposed to be dead, and they had no reason to believe him just because of his history and the past many issues that I wasn't even aware of at the time. And I was just like, listen to this guy. <laughs> And it was just, he takes on all the Avengers at the end of the issue and holds his own, you know, for quite a while. And I just, you know, I love, love that. And the, the, when I went back and read, you know, the earlier issues and the, all the, you know, he had had his mind messed with by Ultron and he comes back as Yellow Jacket, but he's like overzealous and he, you know, they're, Avengers are involved in a fight with some time travelers and what they end up surrendering, but he doesn't know that. And he shoots one of them in the back, trying, trying to save the day and looks pretty bad there. And then the whole issue where he hits Jan, his wife, mm-hmm. you know, Jim Shooter says that was never really meant to be the artist misunderstood, but they just rolled with it. And I'm like, and that, that has clouded 30 years of my, his history. That's a big now. deal. Yeah. yeah, it was supposed to be an accident, you know, and it certainly was not portrayed that way. And but I won't make any excuses for the character. That that's what it was. That's the story that came out. And he, so this character has a history of domestic violence, which you cannot defend. I wouldn't defend, but I still 
like the hero because of how I was introduced to him. And he's a founding Avenger. I mean, he, he did get some redemption. He's, you know, he was in the West Coast Avengers and he was back with Jan and they've had their, I was a big fan of him when he was in his jumpsuit days as Hank Pym and yeah. just had the shrinking Quinjet in his pocket. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, lo- I love the character. I, lo- I, I just, ever since then, that was really one of my earliest introductions to superhero comics. So, But see, now the world at large looks at Scott Lang as Ant-Man. Right. So does that does that rub you the wrong way at all, that they're not mm. seeing Henry Pym, the true hero? Yes, I but... It doesn't. I mean, they still did have have him in there. They still give credit to Pym mm-hmm. Industries, and they, I feel like using Michael Douglas as him kind of takes away. You know, yeah. there's no any chance of ever seeing much about you know the early days unless they do a flashback movie of him and the Wasp. You know, but I don't see that happening since they're going to do the modern day. But just like I mean, he was Ant Man, Yellow Jacket, Giant Man, Goliath. He was. Even the Wasp himself at one point. I mean, he just... All these guys are scientists in these comic books. They're all super genius scientists. Reed Richards and Tony Stark and Bruce Banner. And he's one of them, but I feel like he's the original. He's he's the mind behind the Avengers. And along with Tony Stark. But just character I love. So he's my number seven. And... Did my number seven overlap? Hold, hold on. No, you're, you're good. Okay. It's Michael. Mine? You're number seven. Okay. Oh, you did? I'm sorry. No, I haven't no, done number seven. No, oh, you okay. didn't. Sorry. No. We're yeah, good? It's you. No? Okay. It's you. Shazam! See, that threw me off. When I would watch that show, when I would watch... The Andy Griffith show, and you would go, Shazam! You were waiting for him to transform? I was like, that's not Billy Batson. I was like, what the? I'm so confused! But no, I was... The world's mightiest goober. (laughs) I was first introduced to Captain Marvel in 1981 with the... um, Let me make sure I say this right. The Kids Superpower Hour with Shazam. Um, was my f- first introduction to Captain Marvel, and I had been a lifelong fan of his ever since. That was one of the first characters that I learned how to draw. wasn't Superman. I know, shocking. It was Captain Marvel. I remember going to the public library and finding a book of old comics, and it was just like a collection of the early days of comics history, and Shazam! Captain Marvel was featured in there heavily. During, I love to use it. It's Shazam Captain Marvel. Uh, just one of our earliest uh, episodes, he promised he was going to come up with a new name for this guy. Oh, yeah, that's right. right. And now in episode 50 <laughs> is the time to reveal it. Drum roll. <laughs> and it is what? Captain Stupendous. <laughs> Captain uh, Superior. The Superior Shazam. <laughs> oh, man. The Shazamiest. I'm now available in five colors. Uh, <laughs> Shazam Wow. <laughs> yes, that's it. Shazam Wow. But it's an infomercial for this hero. This yeah. character was created by Fawcett Comics and was so big and so popular, he actually rivaled Superman in the heyday so much that DC had to sue Fawcett saying that Captain America or Captain Marvel was too much like Superman. And because DC was such a bigger company, they basically just sued Fawcett into the ground till they gave up the rights to their character, unfortunately, um, which Captain Marvel was created by C.C. Beck. 
for those that aren't familiar with the history of it, Captain Marvel was always a light-hearted superhero. He had Tawny the Tiger that was this talking tiger that was kind of like Billy's conscious. He had Uncle Dudley. Um, Billy was this kid that didn't have parents. And, you know, he, this was just a good, wholesome, fun-loving comic book series. Like, you would be reminded by maybe Saturday morning cartoons or something. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people realize just how big he was in those what, early 40s. Yeah. That if, you know, if DC had just let him go, that he could, you know, comics history could be a lot different. Because mm-hmm. it was, what a great hook for a kid reading comics wow, here's a kid who says a magic word and turns into a hero. Right. You know, Clark Kent's a reporter. Like, kids can't quite identify with that. But, you know, that was such a great concept. And then, you know, to to use legal maneuvers to kind of bury him for a couple decades, and he never did come back to that popularity he had. So, yeah, history could have been – pop culture history could have been a lot different. He was created in 1939 and first appeared in Wiz Comics number 2, dated February 1940. Yeah, so that's very contemporary with all these DC heroes. All right. To Cliff, you're in luck. Ooh. Because at one time, you were not going to get to talk about this character <laughs> until got to Michael. But <laughs> my, this dropped off from Michael's number five into oblivion. Into my number seven. Yeah, so lay it on. So Michael can pitch in and help here, yeah, too. He can yeah. get a bonus pick. Well, and and to be all honest, I only excluded this off my list because I knew it would be on someone else's list. Okay. I just knew it would be. Yep, good good choice. So the Doctor from Doctor Who, of course. Um, he's a Time Lord from the planet Gallifrey. Who travels through space and time, saving the universe over and over and over again in the, in his TARDIS. Um, my doctor, everybody, they, we talked about this before. Everybody that watches the show usually has a preference of doctors. There, we're on doctor number 12? I believe so. Yeah. So for me, my favorite was always, um, growing up, my grandfather, I've told this before, always, Always like to watch Doctor Who on the on PBS. We used to get the reruns um, over here. Of course, it airs on the BBC in Great Britain. Um, but for the longest time, I remember Tom Baker, and he was a great Doctor. That was the one with the scarf, right? Yeah, yeah. and the um, afro. <laughs> yeah. But what really got me hardcore into Doctor Who was Matt Smith and his runs. And and I would say Matt Smith is definitely my Doctor. Um, I like Tenet a lot, but I don't know. There was something, I think it was more the story, the overarching, uh, single storyline with, with Matt Smith that with I love Matt, more. Matt Smith's run, you actually got an ending to his doctor. Yeah, there's kind of, there's very much a beginning and an ending, um, throughout that run. Fish sticks. Yes. <laughs> so, um, of course, you know, the doc- Doctor Who started out, uh, I believe in 1969. Is that correct? Sure. Sure. Um, and of course, it's still running today with, uh, Peter Capaldi currently in the, uh, newest incarnation. But just, uh, Doctor, it was always an adventure with Doctor Who. And, and he is the ultimate. You know, again, he, you could say he's, 
at times been a, a flawed character. Um, he's always got a companions with him along for the I ride. think it's one of the most original sci-fi series ever. Like some of the stories and elements and different aspects that they go down, the routes they go down. I think it's I think sci-fi as in a whole as in a whole is often, you know, very original. Um, anything that sticks around usually has a, a very original concept. Doctor Who just happened to be one of the first ones, and yes, it's interesting, um, or we wouldn't be talking about it, but it's so different, especially for the time, you're right, especially for the time, you know, going and time traveling and fighting aliens and Daleks. I've I've heard it said dialects. I've also heard it said before, like, that he doesn't carry a blaster or a weapon his his he uses a screwdriver. Right, like the he's there to fix things. He's not there to fight and be violent. Mm-hmm. He's there to use his mind. You know, he's not going to win yeah, a fight with his fists. He's going to outsmart you, we're not, which is an interesting yeah, science fiction idea. Yeah, he's so. often um, fighting world or fighting world conquerors, but like you say, he's always outsmarting them. It's a uh, you know, especially from from a kid's per because it was original, originally a kid's show. From a kid's perspective, it's it's it never has a character made nerdy be cool. <laughs> well, yes, yes, sure. So, anyways, um, Doctor Who. If you haven't watched it, go back, binge it. Um, especially the series from two thousand nine on is really really good. All right, down to number six. Mm. This is my first lady hero on here. Um, I, I just—I mean, I, you know—we grew up. All, all of our heroes were probably we lean towards a lot of male. You know, we're males. You know, in fact, this might have been a good episode to have a lady come sit <laughs> in with us. You know, and if here's we, some. If- if, if we know, know any ladies, ladies. <laughs> yeah. I did ask my wife who she would pick, and she said, you mean other than Lorelai? Right, Lorelai, <laughs> number one seed. Um, I'm, I'm not going to go into explicit detail, because I don't think that Jordan has finished this show, but Maeve Millay, she was a slave to her programming in Westworld for 30 plus years. Yeah, you haven't finished it, have you? No. And, you know, she, portrayed by Tandy Newton, she just, you know, owned that show. Owned that. Oh, wow. This, not only is this a very recent pick to be right in your top ten, but you're not even going with the main character. No. This is a a side character. Yeah, this, this, she just totally grabbed my attention. She was such a strong character and just owned that show and just, Took the initiative, was going to do whatever she could to get out of there, to escape her programming. And, you know, you find out with an episode or two left, some pretty exciting news about her and, you know, what she does with that information in the last ten minutes of the show, uh, of the final episode of the show, a decision she has to make that is heroic as far as I'm concerned. She, she could be totally selfish and do what, what she wants to do, what her goal has always been, or she can make a decision to 
you know, help other people. And I just, I love the character. Tandy Newton spent a lot of that first season completely naked. You know, that she did. sitting on a gur- gurney or whatever, owning the room. You know, it's just like so confident. That character is so confident. She just set, you know, when she realizes, you know, that her whole life is a hideous fiction, she says, and, you know, that it's time to write her own effing story. It's like, such a strong female character. I, I loved it. It's the best part of the show. So. That is my number six. So, Michael. My number six. I'm struggling with my number five and number six because I feel like where I fall with those two characters. Well, you drew number five out the, out the yeah, door. I know. But these two characters back to back are kind of interchangeable with my love for these two characters. So, my true number six, or new number six, is the original Robin Dick Grayson of later years Nightwing. Now, a lot of people have a problem with Nightwing, and I will go to bat anytime for Dick Grayson and his Robin or his Nightwing identity. Who, who was out there talking smack about Nightwing? They was talking about Darkwing Dick. <laughs> Well, they just like <laughs> you like that. I've made that up. <laughs> anyway, young diggy boy, <laughs> he grew up in the world of heroes, and to me, like Nightwing, Dick is the hero. Like I don't look at Batman as a hero. He goes over the edge. I think of him as more of a vigilante. Where Nightwing grew up in this world of heroes and he has never lost that one touch of innocence that still he holds on to the better like that's like when you always see him as portraying Batman there's always something slightly off cuz he I, I love that year or so where he was Batman and Damian oh, was Robin I love that right yeah. uh, cuz you know you can't take Bruce Wayne out of the costume but I was fine with Dick's version of it yes well, it totally flipped its on, on its head. You know, mm-hmm. the Bruce role was, you know, now Robin. Right. And Robin was Batman. And to me, like, I grew up with him going from the Robin to the Nightwing. Like, I remember going back and getting all those issues and just loving that character because of the hit, the rich history that's interwoven and that he is, like, the leader, considered the leader of the next generation of heroes that were all kid sidekicks. Yeah, I, lo- I, I love I love all the Robins. <laughs> you know, I think they all... Robin love Even Jason Todd? Yeah, I mean, I think they all have an interesting story. So, Cliff, you're number six. Do, do ready for a spit take, Michael. <laughs> you ready? This is Cliff's number six. Sticking with the DC Universe... Probably the greatest hero you've never heard of. Booster Gold. <laughs> I just thought you'd be surprised that it's so low on his yeah, list. Yeah, for Michael to have Flash so low, Flash Gordon, and for Cliff to have Booster so we Stay tuned, boy. we got to have some good ones coming up. <laughs> yeah, so actually the DC's time-traveling hero um, has a very, to me, a very storied past a very storied future and uh i just oh i just always 
That, I fell in love with Booster. Now he kind of has like the same story as Captain Jack of always like kind of doing, eventually doing yeah. the right thing. Yeah. The to me, it's it sounds so funny because everybody, you know, a, a lot of people very much like the comics. Take him as a buffoon. Take him as a not a real hero. Not a not a big player in the DC universe. And that's what I love about Booster. He he's always the guy, and especially in the last you know ten years or so, how many times has Booster saved the the entire DC multiverse? You know, going from fifty to, um, and, and even if you go back to Countdown to Infinite Crisis. And helping Ted and discover what was going on there, um, and all the years you know with, with Blue Beetle and his his run in in Justice League and Justice League International, which I love all that stuff. It's funny, you know. They're the goofballs that you know go out and buy a uh, an island and try and run a, uh, a a tourism scheme, you know, Kui Kui Island or whatever it was called. He's I, never taken seriously. Yeah, I look forward to a movie. You know, yeah. about them. You know. Yeah, never taken seriously. And then um, 52 happens. And, you know, we, in the story, Booster is basically dead. And at the end, he comes back and he saves the whole universe. And from there, in this great Dan Jurgens run after, you know, 52 into 52 pickup, where he, Booster was in his, uh, his own book again, and really almost for the first time. And he's time traveling and protecting the timeline and... We find out all these great stories of where he's gone in and slipped in and taken place of a hero to uh, that somebody else has went in and tried to change the timeline and, and, and change the universe as we know it. And Dan Jurgens actually created them. Yeah, he did. Yeah. yeah. So um, he's just always been my favorite in, in the DC universe. You know, Batman always, you know, has has his back. He knows what's up, but yet... That's part of his mystique. Booster becomes this great hero who, part of being a hero is not letting anybody know you're a hero. He lets them believe that he's still this big buffoon. What a great plot line to make the character who, his origin was about getting recognition and being the face on the billboard and being that hero everyone adores and to have evolved to that point where you can be that hero, but no one will ever know. Right. And he has to make that choice to, yeah. to do the right thing, or you know, oh, that's just to take that character from those early root or yeah, early roots to there is a, an amazing story arc. Because if you didn't know, his origin story is he is from the future. He was a big football star and gets thrown out of football for uh, gambling, betting on himself, and rigging games and shaving points. And so he becomes a janitor at the superhero museum and ends up stealing his flight suit and his, um, uh, a, a legion of superheroes ring for flight and Brainiac 5's, um, belt. And those are his only weapons, you know, other than his, uh, gauntlets. And, what about and Skeet? he, well, yeah, and, <laughs> and Skeet's comes back with him, uh, to our present day. And he comes back to get famous. He's going to use his knowledge of the future to um, be a Johnny-on-the-spot hero and make a name for himself so he can get rich. And and that's his entire goal. And along, you know, through 30 years now, 
uh, that's like Jordan said, he, he evolves, he becomes a real hero. Um, the exact opposite of what he wanted to be. And also a rare character that they've heaped, you know, some tragedies on him and put him in darker stories, but he hasn't become grim. He's still the Joker and still, still a very light character. Yes. And, and his books were always, even though, like you said, yeah, there were dark storylines or horrible things happened to him. He loses his best friend, um, and, and partner. Well, and, even his sister was killed too. Like she yeah. was Gold Star yeah. at one time. Yeah, she gets killed there at one point. And he learns, you know, and, and again, he learns, uh, his, a lot of his family are, you know, his father is a good for nothing scumbag. And he has to overcome this all, but he, and he does, but the entire time he, he, he is, he, he's the brightness. He's, he's the light, um, in the universe. I feel like you're telling my, my origin <laughs> right now. <laughs> so, anyways, okay, you're going. the brightness and the light of the universe. <laughs> <laughs> Put that on a t-shirt. The big football star. I see all what you're talking about. If there was a movie made starring Booster Gold, like, I don't know if you would consider him too old to play it, but if not, Nathan Fillion would have to at least narrate the movie. In my eyes, anyway. Wasn't there a big push for Fillion and yeah, Alan Tudyk yeah, to be Booster Gold and Blue Bean? Like, I don't know where you consider him on the age scale, he's, but he's like... He's getting up there for that, but he... Yeah, he's supposed to be Simon Williams in the movie yeah. Into Galaxy. Simon Bar... Simon yes, Williams. Ooh, I'm getting a shiver <laughs> this thing about. All right, Jordan, you're number six. Uh, my number six, I I picked an awful lot of comic book and movie heroes for my list. And I, that I was wanted, hard. Like, I wanted somebody from TV. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't... It was hard to come up with that. You know, there's so many cop shows and, and sci-fi shows. And there's a lot all from Sliders! <laughs> He was my least favorite character on that show. Is it Matlock? <laughs> Please tell me it's Matlock. <laughs> no, it's uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's not Gary Coleman either. Uh, but he stopped Mister Whatever, <laughs> Mister Horton, and Mister Horton at the we can't re- shop. We can't recreate the amazing. <laughs> let's not even try. No, mine is Leslie Nope. Love it from oh. Parks and Recreation. Yep. Played by the amazing Amy Poehler, uh, sitcom on NBC that ran from 2009 to 2015. That started off, it was just kind of an office clone. That first short season was not that good. She was more of a Michael Scott type character, yeah. where it was, you know, she was just kind of the blustery boss wanting to be everybody's friend. And then they kind of let all these characters evolve, and everyone on this show were such good actors and they had such great grasp on their characters that even the ones that were kind of unlikable, like they were all still such good friends and, you know, Tom could do something that, you know, annoyed everyone this episode, but they'd all still have his back on the next one. Mm-hmm. And just also one of the lovingest, most positive sitcoms ever. Cause I gravitate more toward the cynical side of things. I love you know, Seinfeld or community it's always sunny in Philadelphia. I like the, 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 I, I like to laugh at people, not mm. with, not with them right. on these kind of shows. Cause I don't want to learn a lesson at the end of the half hour. Like I just want to laugh. And these, these characters on the show, 
you know, there would be episodes where you'd cry at the end, mm-hmm. like you know, the, the wedding episode, or when Leslie achieves her dreams in a couple different ways. Like, yeah, just the most upbeat, positive character who always had her friends' backs and would move the world to get her goals accomplished. So, yeah, yeah love, if, love if, Leslie. If you haven't watched that show, you're missing out. If you like The Office, this is just a hair beneath the office in my respect it, it's i went through the same thing even watching part of the first season of the office and the first season of this i had to come back later yeah, very similar yeah. trajectory and then yeah. when it came back it was just gold i love that show and like you said i mean chris pratt aubrey plaza yeah you know just great Ron swanson yeah another great he could have been on my heroes list yeah but I, <laughs> right. yeah yeah the inner if you'd have pulled, pulled that mustache yeah if you'd have pulled meat out of the tiles <laughs> in the ceiling I'd, I'd have been so impressed but yeah so many good people on there and and she is you know right up there i think that's one of the series that is going to stick around for decades oh, yeah. and decades yeah. and people will discover it many years later and and, and watch it, you know, repeatedly, yeah. much like Seinfeld it's, it, or... Yeah, if somebody asks what to binge, you don't need a show to binge. I, I will all the time suggest that. Yeah. It never got great ratings. Mm-hmm. It was on that, you know, Thursday night NBC block of a bunch of other good shows. Uh, I think it was, it was a little bit too weird. Like, it was very mm-hmm. idiosyncratic. There would be all the weird, you know, they, it's like almost like the Simpsons where they'd have these side yeah. characters show up Every ten episodes yeah. or whatever. Oh, it's the guy from the sewer yeah. department. But they're like, they're su- the character work is so strong. Right. And you, it was very realistically lived in. And you feel like you're a part of this little family yeah. in this o- yeah. office. It's just, I mean, yeah, Seinfeld is great. But you never cry yeah. in Seinfeld. You cry in the office. <laughs> you cry in Parks and Rec. I yeah. totally agree. And you can see Chris Pratt before he brought Sexy back. Exactly. Fat yes. Pratt. Fat Pratt, the best Pratt, is a fat Pratt. Okay. <clears throat> Michael. No, yes, Michael, start us off with your number five. Yes, Andy no. Radical, Possum Tackler, sorry. <laughs> Probably the, maybe the hardest I've laughed at anything ever is when Chris Pratt goes up and over a bush or something to, to tackle a possum on a golf course. Amazing physical comedy. Yes. Michael, you're next one. Anyway, uh, just edging out Darkwing Dick. Yes, is the one true Flash in my book, and I I love this character so much, and the fact that they brought Barry Allen back as the Flash ruins this character, and that is Wally West, the White Flash. And I'm not trying to be racist. But there are two Wally West. There's um, one that is black and there is one is white. And they have two totally different stories. The My Wally West is the redhead that was the Kid Flash sidekick of Barry Allen. He grew up. Barry Allen sacrificed himself during the crisis on Infinite Earths to save the universes. And every one of us, everyone, like time after time after time, stick his hand in that. Yeah, I remember we talked about this. And Wally West begrudgingly took over the mantle of his mentor, and he lived his whole entire life trying to live up to that mantle. Like 
up to that point, Barry Allen was never like a really super popular character. Like he wasn't very, just it was very he was a very bland character. But the fact that Wally West like had to, like was always trying to live up to him, it made Barry Allen Flash like such a much more interesting character. Wally gave the Flash a personality. Yes. And he, like, Mark Wade's run on Flash is my favorite. I, I think that was probably the, one of the most consecutive DC titles I ever collected. Also, Michael likes Teen Titans. That too. <laughs> but each book would open up, my name's Wally West, I'm the Flash, I'm the fastest man alive, and it would start the story. Cliff, your number five. Number five is Robert Downey Jr., <laughs> but he doesn't have a donut. No donut. Throwback. Uh, Iron Man slash Tony Stark in in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, I like you're so specific about that. Yes, because anything above Booster Gold, you're gonna. It's got to be. You yes. got to. You're pinpointing why this is yes. your the best iteration of Iron Man. You're saying yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, agree. I'm not. Agree. <laughs> I'm not a big, I'm not a huge Marvel, I'm not a Marvel guy. I'm, I'm just not. Um, but these Marvel movies, this universe, Tony Stark is my favorite. Uh, uh, Captain America's great in it. Um, and I love the conflict between the two of them. But Tony Stark, Robert Downey Jr.'s Tony Stark, it, it's just, I don't know if it's the writing, it's his personality, but it's just it's everything. Genius. It's all of that. It's, it's perfect it's, casting. It is the perfect casting um to quote him quote give me a scotch i'm starving i love that (laughs) (laughs) so yeah narcissistic alcoholic weapons manufacturer um you know the story in the movies he you know of course is plotted against by his uh own partner in in his company and He's kidnapped, has to fight his way out, becomes Iron Man, and, uh, gives up manufacturing weapons, and, uh, you know, forms the Avengers, and it's just, it's all gold. You'll get no argument from me. And yeah, it took that version to make Iron Man a household name. Yeah, Iron Man was never this Yeah, he he was was eighth or ninth on the depth chart of Marvel. Never anybody's favorite hero. I mean, I collected a few Iron Man comics, you know, as I was growing up, but mostly he was just in my Avengers. He would all, he'd always be, if I got to pick my perfect Avengers, he's definitely one of the first three picks, but he, you know, but I never loved the character until I saw Iron Man, the movie. I, I remember that San Diego Comic Con that year, which was, uh, 07 or 08 when John Favreau, because, we knew they were making an Iron Man movie, but it wasn't it wasn't on anybody's radar like it should have been. And when he unveiled that first footage of Iron Man and it was Iron Man, I mean it just totally blew me away. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is this looks better than Batman. Yeah. It's almost got harking back to Superman flying in the first Superman movie. Right. Yeah. Where, like you believe just... a man can fly. Like seeing Iron Man suit. Believe flying. a man can iron. <laughs> 
listen yeah. to ACDC as he does it. <laughs> I, I know what footage you're talking about. He's like flying with the jets, and like you yeah. see, like and you, you hear that, that sound effect of the repulsor ray. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it just they just nail it. It was yeah. amazing. Killers. Get your goosebumps. I love that pick. <laughs> I love this pick too, Jordan. Number five. Yep. Snake eyes. Ooh. Everyone Ninja. stay silent for the next ten minutes. <laughs> yeah, uh, tell me, give me some quotes. <laughs> Hand movements. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Oh, yeah, I love that. I love that. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. <laughs> yeah, the silent assassin for the G.I. Joe team was around since issue one uh, of the comic. The earliest cartoon, although he was never really featured in the cartoon because they didn't know what to do with him if he couldn't talk. Yeah. He, he rarely had much to do there. But the comic... And every version since has had Snake Eyes front and center, created by Larry Hama and Herb Trimpey, June 1982. This is kind of along the lines of, like, the Wolverine character, where, oh, you love X-Men? Who's your favorite character? You almost don't want to say Wolverine, but he's so great. Right, you have to. It's like, oh, who's your favorite G.I. Joe? Well, obviously, everyone's favorite is Snake Eyes, but, yeah, there's no one, like, there's a reason he's that high. Just such a great, tragic character again, um... Wounded in Vietnam, he uh, a stalker orders Storm Shadow to leave him behind, but he won't. So Storm Shadow picks him up and carries him to the helicopter. There's shrapnel, shredded, you know, Snake Eyes vocal cords in his face. Uh, so he's he's wounded. He goes back home. He's gonna re- reunite with his sister. He learns she's been killed in a car crash. So his life is basically over. He goes to the High Sierras and lives with a wolf out in nowhere until Hawk comes calling and saying, you're needed again for this team. And from then on, he is the heart and soul of the G.I. Joe team. Never leaves a man behind. Does the most dangerous missions uh, that no one expects to survive. And just is incomparably competent at everything he does. Oh, yeah. Love, love that character. I, you know, so many characters remind me of when I was young playing outside and well, I, I had to have twin Uzis <laughs> running around, you know, I, I had to be snake eyes. If I, if I didn't have, you know, wasn't playing some other superhero when we were playing army, I was, yeah. I was snake eyes. Yeah, so. And visually too. I mean, that look, that all black oh, yeah. look, the sharp visor. The swords coming out of his back. Amazing. Just a great character design. Great character. I remember being very excited when when there was an episode that had Snake Eyes on on the actual cartoon. Because that was always my favorite favorite G.I. Joe figure. And actually the only G.I. Joe comic I owned as a kid was the silent interlude. Which I still have. Yeah. And how cool is that? Because... Snake Eyes was black, which was supposed to be for the villain, and then Storm Shadow was white, yeah. which should be the other way around. So, yeah. and, uh, and I've said before, I mean, I Saturday morning cartoons used to be a thing, but I set my alarm for six fifty-five because GI Joe was at seven, and I was not, you know, going to miss that. I had to hear pure, 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 pure. All right, my number five to wrap up our number fives is. Theo Farron from Children of Men, 2006. You know, the, the movie's a masterpiece. Is yeah. that in your bag? It's not, because I knew you'd seen <laughs> I knew you had seen it, and they probably wouldn't watch it. But 
It's a masterpiece. I could go on about that and the long takes and all the gritty, perfect action, but he's a former political activist who's, this is a, you know, a dystopian future, you know, so his son had died in the flu pandemic and, you know, he and his wife were political activists, but they, you know, grew apart because he just didn't care anymore. You know, so you find out shortly into the movie that, uh, it's been, I think like 18 years since the last child was even born. Uh, baby Diego, who's 18 years old, I, I think is, you know, is on the news. He's the youngest, you know, person alive. And just, who's this played by? Clive Owen plays Theo Farron. I'm sorry. I should have mentioned that, but he just, uh, he, he runs into his ex who's in the middle of doing some of her activism and he's, you know, quickly thrust into a position where he has to do perhaps the most important job in the world. Yeah, that classic story. He's not out to save the world. No. He just has to decide. And, and beyond that, his pilot light is out. Like, he he didn't care anymore. Yeah. He knows what the problem is, and he says, who cares that there's no kids anymore? The world has gone to hell anyway. What, what do we want to continue on in life? He does not even care, but... Then when he realizes that there may be an answer to the problem, and he realizes that there may be some hope to the future, it rekindles that in him. And he is willing to do whatever it takes to make this happen, and he can't trust either side. He can't trust you know bad or good people because of their political motivations behind this. He, he's the only one that can solve this problem. And, and while he's doing it, it's the most uncomfortable hero because he... He's hit in the face with things constantly, you know, he can't stop to rest at all, and he's wearing flip-flops that (laughs) are too small for him, if he has shoes at all half the movie. It's just, it's such an awkward character, and I just just love it. I love the movie, and I love, he does such a great job. That's kind of where I just realized who he was, you know. Yeah, to not have any personal stakes, right? but still... Put his needs behind, you know, to to save this young girl, exactly, and the world possibly. Right, he does what he has to. Yeah, it's it's a totally selfless thing there uh, at the end, and uh, I definitely recommend the movie. So we are down to our number four favorite heroes, and we're starting with Cliff. Marty McFly. Just get right to it. Marty McFly. I couldn't think of any special way to bring announcements. I get it. I I feel you. You know, just Marty. Oh, man. Back to the Future uh, trilogy. Everybody knows Marty. Um, Just one of my, probably, I won't say it's my favorite trilogy because it's, let's face it, Star Wars. (laughs) Um, But it's up there. No, go ahead. Please say that. It's up there. So, uh, what a great hero. Um, what a relatable just kid, you know, doesn't have the best family life. He'll date um, his mom if he has to. That's right. <laughs> but just even like the first movie, the opening up of him like putting the guitar in the amp. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I've never so many, quite like, understood that he is like such a cool, like as a kid I thought he was the coolest. He could ride a skateboard and look at his cool clothes and how he doesn't care and listens to, you know, he's got his cool, he can play guitar has cool music on his uh, his uh, Walkman, but like he seems kind of also, also a social misfit. Like he doesn't yeah. have a lot of friends. He doesn't have a truck. Yeah, 
Didn't have a truck yet. Yeah. He could just got to borrow his dad's car to take it he up could, to the lake on he Saturday. He could just get that truck. But yeah, I never quite figured where he fit. He wasn't the jock. He wasn't yeah. the, you know, he was kind of his own person. He made suspenders cool. <laughs> oh, I, I, I'm on board with you, Club. I, yeah. It's like one of my favorite characters ever and one of my favorite movies. One of my favorite duos is Marty and Doc. Oh, Ray. yeah. Yeah. I, I just, I love it. I, I but how awkward in that script, like, if you think about it, like, him going back in time, it's like, in the script, you almost make out with your mother. Like, how did, like, that get green Yeah, but she's Leah Thompson. <laughs> so, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if, if Luke can kiss his sister. <laughs> and, and, you know, this movie was made right at, of course, Marty was originally not going to be Michael J. Fox. It was going to be Eric um, Eric Stoltz. Yeah, Stoltz. They filmed a lot of the movie. They did, <laughs> and it didn't wasn't working. But Michael J. Fox was such a huge star on television at this point. Right. He was white hot. He was Alex P. Freaking Keaton. And I was yeah, and I was wondered like he was such a big star at that point, and like. Okay, we're making this movie. We've got Eric Stoltz. It's not really working. It's Christopher Lloyd. He's got white hair. It's time travel. It's kind of crazy. Like, I was kind of wondered, like, why did he ever take that job? Like, I mean, looking at it, you, you had to think, oh, this movie is doomed from, from, you know, Jump Street. And, and it's, it's one of my all time yeah, favorites. So I wonder if you just looked at the script before ever seeing yeah. it, could you see how great a script it was? And did uh, you foresee I, the end? I don't know, but I, I read the book before I watched the movie, like the adaptation, yeah. I guess. And I know I was certainly fired up to see the movie. Like I, it is a very memorable. I read that book on the way to Baltimore, yeah. you know, in the car. And I could not wait to see the movie that was coming out that weekend, you know, so. Yeah, I think if he read that script, he probably jumped in with both feet. And he was filming Family Ties at the same time. He, right. He worked, you know, 18 hours a day <laughs> filming those two things simultaneously. Great hero. Not Michael J. Fox. Marty McFly. No, Marty McFly. But, but we'll put Michael J. Fox right up there. If he did that for us. <laughs> Thank you for your service, Michael right, J. Fox. That's right. Okay, so, Jordan, you're number four. My number four is Daredevil, the Marvel hero, created by Stan Lee and Bill Everett. First appearance, Daredevil number one, April of 1964, the blind lawyer of Hell's Kitchen. Uh, again, a very street-level hero. I, I'm not real into the big cosmic, th- you know, I like heroes that, that bleed a little bit and have to have to fight to get that respect. And... Such a perfect Stan Lee-ish sort of twist that, you know, he's a lawyer who is also blind. Blind <laughs> justice. Right. You know, yep. a, you know that, that sort of ironic twist of a someone on the side of law and order during the day but has to be a vigilante outside the law at night. Just another one of those great, great origins. A great... Costume of the all red, a very sleek looking, great logo design of everything. And then, yeah, at that time of his creation, like, a lot of costumes were gaudy, multicolored. Well, his original was very, was the yellow and yeah. red. That but was that more didn't typical. last very long, did it? Just like, an it was, issue or two. Yeah. yeah. But to switch to just a complete one color costume, yeah, I even think the D's kinda were just a darker red. Of. Yeah. <laughs> 
He was blind. He didn't know. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but, again, a character like Iron Man, not of the A-list variety. So he was never the premier character. So he was left alone a little bit. So creators could take more chances with him and do more interesting things. Like when Frank Miller came on the title, it was bi-monthly. It wasn't selling well enough to even do a monthly title until he came on, crafted a crime noir story unlike comics I've ever seen. You know, we brought Karen Page in, revealed his secret identity. You know, just took some really dark turns for comics in those days. Uh, again, some of my other favorite runs, Brian Bendis and Alex Maleev did a, an amazing couple of year run. Mark Wade very recently just it's one of those characters that I, I very rarely have ever had a bad daredevil comic there's just something about that character that clicks with me and and with the creators that work on it that just they deal with the religious guilt of you know his mother was a nun who gave him up you know left when he was a child and we deal with that sort of thing and just uh, the visuals are always great hanging on rooftops like batman but you know just there's always people bring their A game to Daredevil for whatever reason, and and I've always enjoyed that. And with him, like Wilson Fisk was really a Spider-Man villain, but oh, Daredevil yeah. made that his main villain. Oh yeah, love it. My number four is David Dunn. I had uh, Mr. Glass on my villain list. David Dunn from the movie Unbreakable. He was the almost mythological hero. You know, it's explained. He, you know, I I said Jeff who lives at home was obsessed with signs and M. Night Shyamalan, but in reality it was really, he was obsessed with Unbreakable because... Seth who lives at home is obsessed with Unbreakable. (laughs) right. And he he basically had the same character arc where, you know, he's just missing something in his life and when he figures out what it is he needs to do... You know, it completes it. Put a poncho on. That's right. He was missing rain gear. That's right. (laughs) He slipped into that and became Rain Man. (laughs) Um. Anyway, I love it's. You know, it is a great character. Great character. Great movie. Classic good versus evil. Close to perfect movie. And again, one of the most truest realistic. Superhero type movies, if you want to. Right, one of the first to you know do that. And yeah, because how often a superhero? Wait, I have powers. Let's go do something. Like he has yeah. to be really pushed into it. It feels much more realistic that he wouldn't believe he has these right. powers. And who pushes him? You know, the the villain and his son. Yeah. You know, and and that this the character of his son makes a lot of the movie for me. I mean, some of the best scenes him. Adding more weight when he's lifting weights is so great. That's just a hilarious, awesome scene. They're both realizing just what he is, and and then the one one of my favorite movie moments ever is when they sit at that little kitchen table and he slides the newspaper over to his son, who's just kind of down in the dumps, and he looks at him and just says, "You were right," and it mouths the words, "You were right," and that kid. I mean, that just brings tears to my eyes right with that kid in that scene. I, I, I love it. I, one of Bruce Willis's best performances. Oh, yes. Very, very subtle, very restrained, but there's such power in every move he, he, because he moves and talks so little. Yep. Everything he does is just amplified. Fantastic. 
Michael, you're number four. Okay, who is this? A, phys- a physicist, neurosurgeon, test pilot, and rock musician. Ooh, ooh. Who is that? That's Buckaroo Banzai. Hell yeah! <laughs> Buckaroo Banzai in one movie from my childhood is my number four superhero. I just thought, like, this was the first time I saw a character that could do all these different things. He wasn't a jock. He wasn't, like, just this... He was everything. He could do it all. He could sing. He could do whatever he wanted. (laughs) He he could perform surgery. He could... But, like, just this movie of him battling the interdimensional aliens called Red Electroids from Planet 10... Um, that movie is so insane and off the wall. Even John Lithgow's performance, like, there is nothing that you could say bad about this character or movie. And the only sad thing you can say is that there's never been any more. Yeah, just a great concept that he isn't just, you know, it's just taken at face value. That he, he gets out of surgery and goes and performs a rock show that night. Like, and people are cheering and wanting him to sign his record. Like, yeah, it's, it just, you have to just take it on, on, on face value that this, this exists and it's great. And that's <laughs> great. You have to take that part too. Okay. Yeah. And that scene where they're playing the music and him and his gang are all walking together and they're all like slowly joining and they're all dressed so oddly. Like Jeff Goldblum, I think he's, Dressed in Western gear or yeah, something, the Hong Kong Cavaliers. Yeah, it's like it's it's just it hits all my taste buds perfectly. <laughs> Your entire tongue is just buckaroo bonsai. All it's a mouthful of flavor. <laughs> Save that drop. There. All right. We're moving on to our number three, Jordan. You just told us about your favorite lawyer, Matt Murdock. What you got for us now? Another lawyer. What? I didn't realize. What? Justice. <laughs> Atticus Finch. From oh, to more, Kill a Mockingbird. More favoritist lawyer. One of the best novels of all time. Turned into one of the best movies of all time. Uh, played by Gregory Peck in the movie, who won a Best Actor Oscar. Uh, the Harper Lee's novel won the Pulitzer Prize in 1960. Uh... You know, sometimes heroes don't wear capes. Sometimes they wear suits and fight for what's right. And Atticus Finch, a single father raising these two young kids in the South, uh, Macomb County, Alabama. And he is given a case to represent a young black man accused of rape. And this is a case no one could win. But he attacks it with such dignity and such grace and, you know, teaches his kids the right way that, you know, all humans are worthy of justice. And it just, uh, I was reading today, it said that this, this did more for the legal profession. Like this, this credibility. Yeah, it turned people wanting to be lawyers. Cause what a great hero this guy was and the things he fought for. And that final scene, I, can't imagine that it's a spoiler, but no, you know, he doesn't win the case. Right. Much like you know, Rocky doesn't win his final fight, right. but that doesn't mean it wasn't worth fighting. And 
yeah, the courtroom clears out except for the top row where all the black people have to sit. Right. And they all just stand up out of respect for this fight. And it's just chilling every single time you see it. And what, yeah, what Gregory Peck brings to the role with that deep voice and that nobility that he has. Oh, just one of the greatest characters yeah. ever. Teaching us all a lesson. Yeah. And, uh, I, I bet every lawyer you would ask would say that's their favorite book, you know, and that, it, it is just inspiring. Mm-hmm. It gives, a, a a nice sheen to the profession and yeah it's it's a great story love it okay my now we're on number yeah we're still we're on three here okay my number three is i'm gonna i'm gonna up your buckaroo bonsai michael <laughs> I'm going up your buckaroo. I'm, I'm, I'm going, <laughs> Are you going to trump my buckaroo bonsai? We'll put things in holes. I'm totally using that. Mouthful flavor. Up your buckaroo bonsai. <laughs> this hero can play guitar too. I'm listening. Marty McFly? Yeah, it's no Marty McFly. He's got a degree in music, medicine, physics, archaeology, ancient languages, chemistry, astronomy, speaks Four languages plus four archaic languages. He helped expose Watergate. He saved Henry Heimlich from choking to death. He taught Michael Jackson how to moonwalk. (laughs) That is a hero. As far as I know, he still finds himself leaping from life to life, striving to put right what once went wrong and hoping each time that his next leap will be the leap home. My doctor, (laughs) Dr. Sam Beckett. (laughs) I am totally shocked. This is what? your number three. Yes. Wow. I love Quantum Leap. One of my favorites. How favorite. did I not know this? How how would you not know this? <laughs> I don't know. I love time travel. And this was the time travel show, 89 to 93. Scott Bakula killing it. You know, such a, what a great story. I mean... He theorized you could travel in your own lifetime. They say it right in the beginning, you know, but it's like, they call it string theory, but it's not the traditional string theory, but like your life, your, the path of your life is a string, and if you ball it up in a ball, all those days touch each other, and you can jump back and forth in between there. That's the theory, and, you know, just what is not to love, but you guys love the show, right? I did, yeah, girl. Yeah, it was good. Every, I mean, every episode ends with a leap and an oh boy. Yeah, a great way to do a weekly TV series about such a, a grandiose concept, but to keep it kind of serialized. Right. Well, we, every episode we, when he looks in the mirror, we see, you know, who he really is, the body he is in, and, and, he, you know, he sees himself and he, you know, it's, it's just great. The whole, the whole thing, he's got Al and Ziggy and just the overarching story that goes, there's so many touching episodes, you know, where he has to visit family or he has to solve a really important thing in history. And wasn't there one about his brother in Vietnam war? Yeah. Like that's got, one. It was one of the more memorable. Oh episodes. yeah. There, it was like two episodes in a row when he goes back and plays the guitar and sings imagine to his little sister. And she freaks out cause she knows she believes him, you know, that there's no way I've never heard that. And that's gotta be a real song, you know? And, and the next episode, he actually is in the war with his brother and saves his brother, I believe. But, He's married. You know, his wife, Donna, 
I'm trying to think if I remember the story. I think she had left him at the altar. But then in one of his first leaps, she had like issues with her father, you know, daddy issues. And he goes back and fixes that. So she ends up not leaving him at the altar. And they're married throughout the series, but he doesn't know it because he's got Swiss, Swiss cheese brain. And on different occasions. He's got a Michael brain. Yeah. And she says <laughs> she doesn't let them tell him that he's married. She doesn't let anyone remind him because she, you know, because he's got to love some women when he's fixing these time problems. You know, so it's great. And in the series finale, you know, the fifth season kind of goes, they really up it and do some crazy things, but. The evil leaper. You know, at the end he learns that the truth that he was and all has always been in control of his journey. It was supposed thought to be random, but his subconscious was controlling it and he realizes that he can control what he's doing. If he wants to leap home, he can. But much like some other heroes, when they could choose to bow out and escape the problem that they're in the middle of, he chooses to keep on leaping. And, you know, the they didn't renew it for a sixth season. So at the end of that episode, they put that he never returned home. So, great series. I just, I just love it. Well, I haven't watched it since the original run. Does it hold up? I mean... Oh, I'm sure it doesn't hold up completely. Yeah. I went back and watched episodes that, you know, famous episodes yeah. that I wanted to... I've, I probably watched him sing Imagine 17 times, <laughs> you know, but those episodes I, I revisit. But a lot of them, they're, you know, probably about a quarter of them are silly, you know, but a lot of them are touching. I mean, he when he does not leap home when he could, he leaps to let Al's wife know back in the, the war that he is fine and he is going to come home and think, you know, he does things to help other people. Obviously, that's the whole point of the show, but. That's my number three. So, Michael, don't say your number three. Uh-oh. Because that's higher on somebody else's list. Cliff, what is your number three? My number three is a bullwhip, a fedora, and a satchel with a leather coat. I'm blanking. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> Of course, Henry Jones Jr. We named the dog Indiana. (laughs) I loved Indiana Jones as a kid. And for the longest time, my, believe it or not, my favorite Indiana Jones movie was actually Temple of Doom. Yeah, I love Temple of Doom, which was the prequel that everybody said. Yeah. You know, not suck, but wasn't. That's as the first one I again. saw. I remember going in my friend's basement. His parents were watching Temple of Doom, and I was like, "What is this?" I'd never seen Raiders. <laughs> oh, yeah, and I was like, sat down, and of course, I loved it. You know, I loved yeah. it. This is fantastic. You know, so it's not my favorite though. Last Crusade is my favorite. I love Last Crusade. Um, I remember. I have a vivid memory of going to see it in the theater, mm-hmm. and just uh, Sean Connery and yeah. and Harrison Ford were just only unbelievable. the man will pass. <laughs> So, um, yeah, Indiana Jones, he's the ultimate adventurer, Um, you know, collecting relics and fighting horrible bad guys, you know, henchmen and bad guys and Nazis. Nazis. Oh, this is great. 
Love fighting Nazis. And the fact that all these movies took place in the past, like it wasn't a modern story, it was mm-hmm. a pul- basically a pulp story. Yeah, yeah, it's very core. much. I love, you know, probably my favorite scene is when uh, the guys with the, the great big swordsman, they're coming at him and he's standing there and he just, you know, Harrison Ford just improvises and just pulls out his gun and just shoots him. Yep, that's probably oh. the most famous oh, Indian Jones scene ever, you know. But that's, yeah, this this pulpy feel. Like when people, I've heard some modern critics criticize these movies. You know, they call Temple of Doom racist and things yeah. like these. But like, I view it all through that lens of, you know, this is a pulp story. Right. And of course, you know, the evil villains, they're not going to have redeeming qualities. We're, we're fighting Nazi, Nazis right. and cult members. Like, these are not complicated stories. No. They're right. very straightforward, but just done so brilliantly. It's, it's Harrison. So inventively. Harrison Ford, George Lucas, and Steven Spielberg all at the top of their game. Right. Exactly. They're right in the sweet spot yeah. there. And he had flaws. He hated snakes. That's so great. Don't we all hate snakes? <laughs> why there, ha- why there have to be snakes, huh? <laughs> and he fights dirty. You know, he's oh, not, he gets beat up. He gets he takes punishment. <laughs> yeah, he's not he, he's not the flawless hero who's always gonna you know yeah. come out unscathed. Like he takes punishment. Yep. Great, great pick, guys. We're up to our top. Two favorite heroes, each person. And I am going to start it off with my number two hero. And this, you know, this, this hero taught me that not all heroes are athletic strong guys. They're not all comic booky here, you know. They're, he stands out by using his mind, which is something I really respect. I, I like to solve things. You know, he's always the smartest and most clever person in the does room. Does he carry a little notebook? I bet he, he does. He, he may. He's the master of deduction who sees clues where others do not. The local law enforcement comes to his home for help on cases they can't solve. And he'll sit silently and close his eyes, maybe ask one question after he's listened to all the clues, and then crack the case. Do you, you know, what's the address there? You recall the address when they show 121 up? 121B Baker Street? You like would that. think, but no, I'm talking about the Sherlock Holmes and sneakers at 13 Rover Avenue. No case too small, 25 cents per day plus expenses. <laughs> Encyclopedia Brown. Nice. <laughs> I'm absolutely serious. This was the, this was the books that as a child, it just opened my mind. I was like, this is what I found a new love in my heart for figuring things out. I'd sat, watched shows with my mom and tried to figure out things on TV mysteries she would watch, we would discuss, or, you know, movies. And we did this, you know, my whole life. But And we would play games, you know, word games, trying to figure out these puzzles. You know, any, I just, this started the love for that. When I read that first Encyclopedia Brown, Boy Detective, you know, just he he could figure out the inconsistency in someone's, you know, story they were trying to tell. His dad would was the chief of police in Idaville, and he'd come home and just start talking about the case over dinner, and Encyclopedia would ask a question, and then, you know, solve the case. <laughs> dad, why don't you arrest the guy? You know, he's clearly, you know, this... 
he he's lying, you know. So his uh, nemesis Bugs Meanie of the Tigers even had almost threw in there a parallel to Watson. He had Sally Kimball, who was <clears throat> his partner. She was kind of his bodyguard, and you know, just it, it's just a classic children's story. And I, you know, I, there's many many volumes of it, and I rec I. Any kid will gets that gift from me when I feel like they're at the age they can understand it. I'm like, Google, here, read this. Encyclopedia Brown. You don't know anything about Encyclopedia Brown? I'm like, you're hitting like the back recesses you, of my mind. Get in your backpack. Oh, no. Get in your backpack. Here you go, Michael. I have an Encyclopedia Brown book for you to look at. <laughs> Not a lot of pictures. I feel like I read a bunch of these. Like, this sounds so familiar. My son dressed up as Encyclopedia Brown for... Like book day at school, which the only thing you really do is hang a sign around your neck that says Leroy Brown, President, you know, Brown Detective Agency. He'd sit in his garage with the gas can. They'd come in and drop two dimes and a nickel in there and ask to solve a case. I, just great stuff. Oh, yeah. I read, I don't know if I read all of them, but I know I read a bunch of them as a kid. And I, I, I was never the best at solving all the clues, but you know, you get to the end, you're like, oh, how did I not notice that? Right. There's some little detail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Okay, Michael, again, I love this. The way you set your list up, you don't ever get to talk. <laughs> your num- <laughs> your number three and your number two are on someone else's list. So, Jeez. moving on to Cliff, your number two bollocks. <laughs> My number two is a combination of two characters a bit. Whoa, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> That's not in the rules. Wow. Go with me here. <laughs> Much like Johnny Depp, he's a pirate, but a space pirate. And he happens to be played by Harrison Ford. That was the last guy. <laughs> so, very much a similar character to Indiana Jones, Harrison Ford course was also Han Solo in my favorite trilogy the Star Wars or saga now the Star Wars movies so um, of course Han was a smuggler a pirate um, a not so great guy who in A New Hope runs into uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi and Luke Skywalker and and agrees at, on a price to uh, smuggle them um, over to uh, Alderaan, and suddenly he's thrust into this ongoing war between the Rebel Alliance and the Galactic Empire. Um, and and you know Han, who always again didn't always do the right thing, wasn't a great guy, um, became a great guy. And, and becomes a leader in the Rebel Alliance and um, is instrumental in, you know, blowing up the Death Star. Vader would have killed Luke. Not as instrumental as some other people, <laughs> but we'll get him some yeah. <laughs> well, well, excuse me, blowing up two Death Stars. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and a Star Killer base. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that scene... Where the Falcon comes screaming in. Mm. Yeah. You're clear, kid. I mean, oh, I was talking about movie moments. Right. That's got to be another it. hero that could have left yeah, and yeah. stayed away and missed out on the conflict. We seem to have a theme going. 
So, yeah. Uh, it just, definitely could have been on my list. I, he's one of my honorable mentions. Absolutely. I love Han Solo. When I was playing with my action figures, he was on the good team. Well, you know. <laughs> Along yeah. with Boba Fett and <laughs> all the other cool characters I wanted on that team. I always liked Luke, but I was never a Snake Luke. Eyes. I was never a Luke kid. <laughs> Snake Eyes. <laughs> he was <on> there. <laughs> I was never a huge Luke kid. I liked Luke. I liked the story, but I was I was very much a Han and Han and Chewie were my go to there. So mm. I had the big Millennium Falcon Kenner toy. Oh yeah, it was one of my favorites. So absolutely love it. Okay, Jordan, you're number two. Nobody else had this one. Nope. Wow, Batman. Freaking Batman. Nope. He's a vigilante, not a hero. He's oh, my hero. Ouch. Debuting in May 1939, Detective Comics issue 27 by Bob Kane and Bill Finger, the Dark Knight detective. We don't really have to say much about Batman. I mean, never heard of him. One of the greatest comic characters of all time. You know, some amazing movies, cultural icon. Even if you've never read a comic in your life, you see people with the, you know, the bat symbol t-shirts on. Just resonates so much with people. Again, the human. In a world of gods and monsters who uses his brains yep. and his wallet and fights <laughs> fights for the day. His fat, fat wallet. Yeah. What's yep. your superpower? I'm rich. <laughs> and the star of many of the best comic stories ever told. Dark Knight Returns, Year One, The Killing Joke, Long Halloween, the list goes on and on. Yeah, I mean... It, it, is there a more culturally significant hero? I don't. I don't know. Uh, just stop it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's you know it it doesn't get much bigger than this. But you, he's also the kind of hero where you can take down some very dark paths and yeah. tell some stories where he's not very heroic, yep. where he is violent and terrible. And then you can also tell his nineteen forties cheery stories where he and Robin are smiling as they. Zap, pow, bang, you know, punch out the bad guys. He's such a fluid character. You can tell horror stories. You can tell detective stories. You can tell sci-fi stories. You can tell fantasy stories. You know, the the Batman fits every genre imaginable. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's you know, my probably my favorite DC hero. I, I, I love Batman. I have many, many Batman trades. And, you know, I, I, I love the character. Um... So let's see. That was all of our number twos except Michael's. Good to skip. Michael, you're starting off our number ones, and can you do it without talking about your number two and three because they're on other people's lists? So you don't need to compare and contrast. All right, gentlemen, who's my number one? If I had to place money, it would be a pretty simple bet. Not Barbie, Ken. No, I'm just kidding. We all know. But you've thrown some curveballs here, so yeah. I'm not sure. Is it Superman? Ding, 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 right. ding. Tell us what you love about Superman. It start like, I, th- this is my love of superheroes or where it started. Like, as a young kid, I had a very dysfunctional family and I, and I did constantly look up to Superman. I would have dreams of him coming and rescuing me. From basically this broken home and taking me to his fortress of solitude. And he embodied 
to me, everything that a hero should stand for. And he was our very first superhero. I mean, he has this huge mythology. He created or started the modern mythology of superheroes. And when it comes down to it is he has the powers to crush a world but will always do what's right. Like that uh, mini, uh, well, I wouldn't call it a miniseries, but with um, with Garth Enos where he fights the elite and they try to turn him to say like, you know, heroes are dark and violent. Yeah, and you're, you're outdated. You don't have any place in this new world. We're going to show you. You're going to cross the line. And, it's very, and he shows them. And he's just the great, like, he, I could go on for hours of why Superman is the greatest. And. Well, there wouldn't be very many other characters on these lists if it weren't for Superman. He kind of spawned most of the characters on our lists, right. I'm it's sure. It's the most simplistic, most powerful hero, you know, I mean, it's just. And even like back in the 90s, like when he died, like, that was my fever pitch of collecting every Superman title. They, we all did, but yeah. I, it's, I'm sure it was special but for you. Before that, like, Superman started, like, those were the first two issues. I actually thought it was an Avenger comic was my first comic, and I had to go back and look at the dates on the comics, and it was actually the Superman two-parter where he goes to a parallel universe and fights these renegade Kryptonian villains. It was, a, I think one of them might have been General Zod of that version. But anyway, that's what started, and I was... Comics were 75 cents, and that was what started my true love of comic books. And I will go to bat fisticuff style with anyone that says anything differently. And I know I've said this before that everyone, you know, Superman is the light, Batman is the dark. You know, we have the Mm -hmm. yin and yang. Well, Batman is born of tragedy, and Superman is hope. Superman's origin is way more tragic than Batman's. Mm -hmm. Batman loses his parents. That's terrible. But he's got a butler who loves him. He's got a trust fund. Superman loses his planet. But we don't ever look at Clark Kent as a tragic character who who is brooding and has to overcome. Like he, he's just always so positive, and he is that you know, symbol of hope on his chest. That he, that's not his core of being. His true powers lie in the way he was raised by loving adopted parents that showed him the moral compass for his future. Uh-huh. And then Superman 3 pulls that cool cellophane S off his chest and throws it. <laughs> and it's a minor inconvenience. <laughs> Did I do that in Superman 2? Oh, or? Superman 2. Sorry. What are you about? 3 is the one with Richard Pryor. Yeah, we don't talk about 3. <laughs> we don't talk about 4. Wow. <laughs> I don't talk about Superman. Go on, Cliff, with your number one. Oh, gosh. I had much debate about this. Um, and whether or not this fit into our when rules. I saw it, I don't know that it does, but we'll allow it <laughs> <laughs> simply because it's a real person, right? Or well, what? we talked like I was talking to Christy about this, my wife, and she like she mentioned Diana, she mentioned uh-huh. Grace Kelly, like because yeah. that fits into pop culture, real people. Well, that's that that was my ultimate. You know, yeah, well, we're not reckoning with There's it. no rules here. Yeah, so, anyways, uh, my number one is actually Walt Disney. Walter Elias Disney. 
Hmm. Which yeah, a lot of these a lot of these celebrities of that like they they take on taking on a mythology. He's almost a fictional character. Almost, right? So many somewhere. If anybody freezes themselves, they're pretty much (laughs) fictional at this point. And and in a way, you know, Walt was there had two personalities. There was Walt, the real person. There was Uncle Walt, who was the guy that we saw on TV. Which one is way more important than the other? Right to society at large. Exactly. You know, Walt. Drank, Walt smoked, um, Uncle Walt on, or Walt Disney on television didn't do either of those things. So, but for me, uh, as far as heroism, you know, this is a guy who was born into a, a poor family. He had a whole bunch of brothers and sisters and they moved from town to town to town growing up. Um, never really, you know, Having a, a true, real, you know, this is where my roots are home. He was born in Chicago. Um, you know, he always identified Marceline, Missouri as his hometown, which he only lived there for five years. Um, you know, his, his father wasn't, um, always seemed to, he was a harsh man, but, um, he, he he taught Walt hard work and what it meant to go out there and make your own life, that type of thing. And Walt had a lot of failures, um, you know, just starting up studio after studio um, until he got it right. But the innovations that that he created um, in the Disney company and animation and movie making and theme parks and um, television – just everywhere that he touched were really, he was a pioneer, um, a, a, just an American pioneer in general. And, uh, and he, you know, had a reputation of, uh, uh, of being down to earth and, and very much being Uncle Walt and was part of the American family in everybody's household, um, at least every Sunday. So, Really, to me, just the innovation, um, the genius, uh, and just, you know, he was one of those guys, one of those, you know, I, I put him up there with, you know, famous industrialist um, before him and of his time that really brought America into into prominence, into what it was, um, what we what we are today, and, and leading the world in so many different things, um, including entertainment and pop culture. You know, he had a hand in all of that. Yeah, so. I mean, we don't we don't export as many cars as we used to. We don't export steel. So, you know, what Walt Disney did for entertainment, which is you know America's right. number one commodity right now, is what you know Ford or Rockefeller or any of those kind of people did. You know, building the bases of these industries. Exactly. So, and of course, you know, Mickey Mouse. <laughs> I mean, um, he is American pop culture. Right? There's no doubt about it. It's what the world would be different without Walt Disney, and for sure. And I think I truly believe the world would even today would be a lot more different. You know, had he lived, if he got another ten years in, I think we would we would have seen more innovations um, that we still haven't seen today, or didn't come for you know another twenty years or so. So much much the way. Um, you know, a Steve Jobs innovated. Walt was doing all that stuff before him. Cliff is really trying to get on that wall at Disney. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> get on that window. Yeah. yeah. Tag him. Just tag him. 
Okay, Jordan, you're number one, number and Michael's one. number three. Oh, all Ooh. right. A slight crossover here. Um, I have contented, contended, contended. There you go. I've contended. <laughs> I was a contender uh, many times. That this you could have been. Not only is the, the best hero or the best comic character or the best whatever, I think this is the best fictional character ever created. Unlike Walt Disney, who's a real person. <laughs> I stuck to the rules. I stuck with fictional heroes. So, yeah, to me, moving beyond even you know Shakespeare's Hamlet or Macbeth, James Bond, any of these iconic characters, no one to me is better than Spider-Man. Peter Parker. Peter Porker, the I spectacular Spider-Man. Cliff's eyes roll in his head a little bit, but Cliff does not like Spider-Man. Spider-Man just... is the greatest everyman. He has everything going against him to want to be a hero. There's no reason why he should be. His life is crap. There's nothing that ever goes right in his life. And those are definitely the characters I Gravitate. connect to Absolutely, most. Yeah. The people who are the underdogs. And yeah, Spider-Man is the ultimate underdog. And what a what an innovative character in a time, you know, uh, 1962 created Amazing Fantasy number 15 by the team of Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. Uh, heroes were adults. It was Batman would have a kid sidekick or, you know, but here we are a teenager and we're following a nerdy teenager. A very nerdy teenager who, who again is not Paragon of virtue, like he, he's selfish, and he sna- especially those early stories. Mm-hmm. He snaps at people, and he he has mood swings, and he doesn't. He's like, well, fine, let the world go on without me, and he'll turn his back on things, and he has crushes on older women. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Michael gravitates yeah. to. <laughs> but yeah, just not. Not the he doesn't just become a hero because he gets bit by the spider like that. It almost, it could have ruined his life, almost. But then, when he puts the mask on, he kind of realizes he can be a different person. He can be the person he always wants to be. So that push and pull between the wallflower Peter Parker and the showboat Spider-Man, and which is really more dominant in his personality. And to me, that quote, with great power comes great responsibility, is... It's right up there with any bit of philosophy man has ever conceived. I think, therefore I am, or any anything like that. That that is such a perfect distillation of of such an important philosophy that every you know every political leader, religious leader, anyone can subscribe to. With great power comes great responsibility, and that's so simple, but so profound that to make that his life's credo. That he could turn his back at any minute. He, he, anything, things are going wrong, but he just remembers that and what Uncle Ben taught him. That no, it's it, he not you know it's not someone else's problem. It's his problem, and he has to solve it. And it always comes back to that core ground level philosophy. And I don't know. To me, just the, the just the best of all time. And there's, plus there's this great duality to the character of, as Peter Parker, just like as we do in our own lives, we're constantly second guessing ourselves. 
not knowing if this is the right thing to do here. Whereas when he puts on a mask, mm-hmm. he's always in control. He's got these great one-liners. He doesn't second-guess his choices or what he's going to say next. And it's almost like by putting the mask on, he has true freedom. Mm-hmm. Can't argue with that. One of the greatest comic characters there are. All right. The number one. <laughs> How did you get to end this list? <laughs> I had to start the final yeah, round the last math, time. The math kind of was I don't know what a little happened. bit here. I don't know what happened. Oh, I wonder who this could be. Let's tell you, it's, of course... I tried like hell to convince myself it was Encyclopedia Brown. (laughs) (laughs) Just so it would be even more stupendous. But no, it is, of course, by a long shot, Steve Rogers, Captain America. So when I was 10 years old and I first saw him in a tattered copy of issue 199, Captain America and the Falcon, and I was like, who is this guy tumbling around (laughs) in Jack Kirby art and just looking unbelievable you know everybody like connects with something catches your eye and that this was the character that you know at that age it just connected with me and has never let go you know i I mean i ran around with double uzis i ran around with a trash can (laughs) lid as captain america i was probably my most scariest as hawkeye with a real bow and arrow but (laughs) (laughs) but when i saw the next time I saw Captain America was that issue of Avengers 217 with the Yellow Jacket story. And I saw those Avengers on the cover, my favorite cover ever of, you know, the big four, I would call them, with the lights of the Quinjet coming from behind them, facing off against Yellow Jacket. And all I could see was, that is that guy with that shield, <laughs> and I got to buy this, you know. And that's all I cared about. None of the other ones compared with him. He never had any character flaw like Hank. You know, he, when they retold that version of the Hank abuse of Jan story in the great series, um, the first ultimate series, and, uh, she's in the hospital. Cap goes to a bar and finds Hank Pym and drags him outside and goads him and turning into giant man just so it's a fair fight when he kicks his ass. <laughs> he just, as soon as he turns into a giant man, Cap just runs upstairs of a building, jumps out the window and punches him in the face. <laughs> and, you know, just, he, he is the baddest man, you know, he, he's all heart, you know, and he's what my version of patriotism is, you know, standing for equality and freedom, not a puppet of the government, no puppet. If his country's leadership wants to steer him wrong, he turns in the shield. And we saw it in the last movie, just like straight out of the comics that he, he will stand up to a corrupt government. He isn't, you know, their, you know, showman he like he starts out in the first movie he is his own man he is a symbol of freedom yeah, it's the, not just blind patriotism no it is a core to what really america stands for right he's the quintessential boy scout you know when when he was assassinated he was all he cared about when he heard shots was the soldiers that were you know taking him to jail you know he he's what michael wishes superman was he he has the most charisma. He stands toe to toe with Thanos without the powers of the yellow sun. You know, it says as long as one man stands against you, you can't win. He isn't motivated by his parents being killed in a dark alley. He doesn't have Spider Man's teenage angst. Turn yeah. this personal here. Oh, yeah. A little bit. 
You know, he is a He's man. A jugular. He is a man. He is the man. He he is what a man should be. He commands respect from all. He's the ultimate leader. Frank Miller said it best in Daredevil 233, a soldier with a voice that could command a god and does. In JLA versus Avengers, when they end up working together, Superman defers leadership to Captain America and Cap, I'll say it again, lets him hold his shield. <laughs> he wielded Thor's hammer multiple times. And in March 1941, in his first issue, get your beep button ready, he punches Hitler in the <laughs> face. <laughs> Greatest hero of all time. Much like Walt Disney, a hero <laughs> of much, American spirit. Much like Walt Disney. <laughs> <laughs> and as he says, hey, I, will never, I, will patriotism. Never, I will never miss the chance to give my Captain America speech. Oh, like, How many cartoon mice did Steve Rogers create? <laughs> I'm pretty sure Superman fights for truth, justice, and the American I, way. Ca- I, I want to point out, too, that Captain America was number two on Michael's list. He yeah. was. Because so, that falls right along with his philosophy. It's the same he, he kind wants, of character. He wants yeah. the incorruptible hero who yes. always fights. For I respect threat. that. You're willing to admit that, you know. But he is almost now. Superman's your favorite, yeah. but they are obviously very they're toe similar. To, they're toe right? to toe right. as yes. far as they are, have the same mentality. They do what is right, and people respect them for it. And luckily, the movie versions of Cap that now dominate pop culture. What most Americans now view as Captain America who have never read a comic. Right. They got exactly Can right. you imagine how... I can't say that how, for Superman. I would not be... How unlivable I would be. You couldn't stand to be around me if they had not got that right. <laughs> if they Zack Snydered Captain America. Oh my America. gosh. That's one thing that just... I love... I'm so satisfied is how right they got that character. I just... I love it. I love what they've done with them in the movies. And how where I walked out of Batman versus Superman... Well, yes. Right. In all fairness... Christopher Reeve is Superman. Oh yeah, I mean that portrayal. You yes. can ar- you can argue Chris Evans versus the Christopher Reeve Superman. They're much more comparable. I, you, this crap that they're putting out today, no, but yeah, I mean, the for what you're saying, we just got it thirty years. Or yeah. 40 years ago. And you could compare Matt Salinger with the rubber ears on the motorcycle <laughs> with the plastic shield. Uh, <laughs> right. I remember when that was in, like, some comic book, uh, comic book magazine from mm-hmm. People's News. Mm-hmm. And remembering, like, them making that movie. And I was, like, chomping at the bit to, like, see this. It was like, Captain America movie. Right. Like, I had the poster on the wall with the freaking rubber ears. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can't say there's a wrong pick anyone no, had. No. Well, I could, but I wouldn't. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. I did. <laughs> so, yeah, that was fun. Again, very personal list. Yes. Maybe not a definitive list by any means. Your list, your mileage may vary on your list out right. there. Please, when, you know, when you see, you know, you've seen this post there, we posted the podcast. Share it, get your chance to win a t-shirt and Take the time to let us know who your favorite hero or heroes are. I I swear to you, we are interested. Yes. <laughs> and we will probably almost certainly talk about your picks on the podcast. We we want to know. That's exactly right. Send us feedback on our Facebook page. You can tweet at us. Um hit us up personally. We however you want to get in touch with us, 
we don't care. But send us your list. We will, you know, we may even go over it. Yeah. Um, on, even on a, with on this another... many picks we made, there's, we left oh, out Oh, we left tons. out oh, tons. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. mean, I, I, we didn't have Princess Leia on there. I could have easily had her yeah, on I there. I, you know, I mean, there's just, there are a lot of heroes I left off of this list, but I used to, you know, so I'm interested to hear what people, you know, I'm sure there are very legitimate heroes out there that we didn't have on our list. And it, also, if you just totally agree with me, you can say that too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I respect that yeah. even more than your own list. <laughs> well, that's just like how my, my list was very comic book heavy. And right. I tried to fight with that and I just couldn't. Well, don't. That's uh, what I found myself just do I wanted to go with what my actual picks were. Like I said, I, I thought it would be a neat twist to have an encyclopedia round number one, but that would also not be true. So as mo- as important as that character really, believe it or not, was to me and is to me, you know, it really is pro- my number two, you know, but it's not my number one. You know, so I, I just really like to hear people's real heroes or on any are, list. Are there any you really fought with that were right on the edge of your list for anybody Han that Solo, you had to push Han out? Solo was, a, was almost on Will there. Stanton, I got him on there. Uh, yeah. Which actually... <laughs> <laughs> Will Stanton. Oh my gosh. Which, in all seriousness, on that, there was a movie made called, I think it was The Seeker maybe, and it was put out around the time after Harry Potter got really big and you could tell they made the, that movie thinking like this could be the next Harry Potter and it did not do as well at the box I, office I, at all. I, I highly no expected one has, yeah, no a one Harry has Potter, Harry to be Potter on the list. Mm. No one had uh, Malcolm Reynolds from Firefly. Mm. I had a the only one I really had a big Wolverine. debate for. Yeah, no, Wolverine. nobody had Wolverine. That's well, because that's a big one. Nobody, had, you know, I mean, there, there's a lot. Of, I, I know, kind of a little more obscure, but I, I like the character, the Sentry. That that you know, I I just kind of really like that character, the story of the struggles of that hero. To me, there's a there's a there's a line of what makes a hero and what doesn't make yes. a hero, and that's like yeah. if we were talking more like vigilantes or yeah. just more general, I would have Wolverine on my list, but I can't because he's well. If we're talking favorite characters, I mean, yeah, that's mine, a different yeah. list. Very, different that would list. be yeah. another. That would be our next list to do. I. I Tried my damnedest to find a way to work Michael Scott into my life. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I could. You should have called me. I'd have whipped you up a speech <laughs> and backed you all the way. He's a hero. <laughs> no one didn't have a John McLean. Yeah, I thought of that I too. Uh, somebody would. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean that. There's there's plenty out there. Well, we, we you know we could easily revisit at a later date and time and. And have a virtually different list. Oh, I'm yeah. sure everybody yeah. could. Yeah. So. so also, if you have any ideas for other lists, put that comment yes. that we're, we're, we're any show ideas. You know, I this is the most fun to me when we, when we get to do these. I, I love making it, and so yeah, I'd be willing to do just about any any list. We better wrap it up. Yeah. Thank you for sticking around for fifty some episodes, but mainly fifty episodes. <laughs> We hope you like our big celebration. Yeah. We love doing it. We, love, it. we love hearing from you. Win a t-shirt. and We tolerate each other here. Yes. So. <laughs> Tune in for more, please. Spread the word. If you like it and you think you know somebody else, specifically a friend, that would like it, tag them. Tell them, hey, check this out. We, I bet you'll like it. There's 50 episodes. There's got to be some good yeah. in there somewhere. Tell them what episodes you like. <laughs> you know? All right. That's it. As always... 
I am the illustrious Michael K. Easton, and I want to say happy anniversary to you guys. Thank you for sticking around as we continue this journey on the Kapow, Kapow the Pop Culture Podcast. Kapow. 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 What did we think of that name? Kapow. My name is Jordan Lowe, always striving to be that hero. That bleeds. Street level. Yeah, he's got to bleed. But street level. I don't dream too high. He's got to bleed. <laughs> I, I stay realistic. Right. And, uh, I'm, I'm, I almost said and. Don't say that. I'm Cliff Barnes. And I am the Poobah. Goodbye forever. <laughs> Goodbye for 50 episodes. Hi, this is the illustrious Michael K. Easton with the Kapow! The Pop Culture Podcast with Jordan Lowe. Cliff Barnes. Rounding out this fantastic four of podcast teams, I'm Mr. Seth-tastic. You down with KPP? And now I'm, I'm just going by this unpronounceable symbol now but i'd like the michael's pronunciations pronounce this symbol it's my new name two scoops you down with kpp <laughs> just so you know yeah his shirt is back on <laughs> it is and it's right side it up right side up yeah. <laughs> you should have seen it before <laughs> i don't know how he had that thing around his legs <laughs> you down with kpp Guys, I am from a parallel universe. This is why I pronounce things differently. You down with KPP? Hi, my name's Ronald, and I'm uh, I'm filling in for Seth, and I'm really super excited to be here. You down with KPP? You've been pearl muttered. You down with KPP? It was June seventh, six forty-four a.m. <laughs> when the rest of the world was sleeping. You posted an album of three hundred eighty-two pictures of owls. <laughs> You down with KPP? And there's a, a black gentleman that uh, goes and finds his real father. Um, there's a reason. <laughs> I got news. Mike was so the opposite of racist. Is white guys or cokehead possibly? All black guys are gentlemen. <laughs> you down with KPP? You down with KPP? You down with KPP? You down with KPP? Switch! You down with KPP? You down with KPP? Switch! From now on, I refer to him as, and I'm trademarking this, Bern Arnold. You down with KPP? They are so used to this luxury that they don't want to. It is the Matrix. <laughs> 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 the look on his face when that clicked. That is the best. Oh, that was heartbreaking. Oh, poor guy. He was just going to tell us about the pills. Get down with KPP. Him saying Jar Jar making some uh, mistakes. <laughs> but so him did George Lucas. Yeah. But the uh, the point, the real point, George him miscalculated. Yeah. You down with KPP? No, uh, you're our imaginary friend of the show, Larry Hama, who we bring up quite a bit. Shared of Kapow post on Facebook. You down with KPP? Kapow, the pop culture podcast, is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Sounds, music, and clips played during the podcast are property of copyright holders. All original content is property of www.udownwithkpp.com.